I warned Aya that uh, there's a potential for wet mouth sounds from my <laughs> sensitive mic. So if it's starting to sound a little gross, uh, you let me know. Hey, there's a, I, I'm drinking a smoothie and there's like constant clink clinks. So. Also, I feel like we're getting wet mouth sounds from you, Josh, actually, now that you've pointed out. That's what I'm known for, wet mouth sounds. Yeah. Oh, so gross. That's just gross. You actually have a means. smoothie again. Amanda, <laughs> Amanda pointed out earlier, like, oh, I look forward to Josh's smoothie talk. And here he is with a smoothie. <laughs> yeah, you and Amanda have very professional equipment. I need to up my Yeah, we're profesh. Yep. You're professional. Well, Amanda's the, um, a musician. She has yes, yes. Mm -hmm. It's for all the music that I definitely uh, do actually record and not just say I'm going to do and buy expensive equipment for. I guess we have enough uh, chitter chatter. Was that being recorded? Of course it was. What? Why do I not remember this sometimes? Why are you surprised? <laughs> I gotta like move the banter. <laughs> Welcome back to Adulthood Friends. This is the discussion-based podcast where two former childhood acquaintances, now friends, discuss the things that definitely matter. Definitely. Our adverb of the week. Yeah, and they definitely matter, at least today, since our topic is mental health. Uh, so what are some of our personal experiences with mental health, some of the challenges we might have faced as children and as adults? And uh, we have a very special guest today, my, well, I guess our childhood friend. Uh, you know, just <laughs> give a hug girl to yourself, Aya. Yeah, I was going to say- Amanda Bell. Hello, great to be here. Yay, thanks, Amanda. And I'm Aya. And oh, I'm Josh. Josh. Have we did, did we even do that last time? I don't even think we did. Sometimes we don't. <laughs> <laughs> and let's get into it. Well, Amanda, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. For those of you who don't know, Amanda is my good friend. Uh, <laughs> I take full. This is my guest. Uh -huh, Josh uh -huh. had the other. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh, I even have a nickname for her, which I mentioned to Josh, and he was like, you need to what sing is it that again? song. Mandini. That's I right. Know. And yeah. I tried I, I tried to retort, so so I also call her Aini in response, but it really doesn't flow quite the same. Aini like Aini. Mandini. It came from, I think, because Amanda did a, I think you did a project on Houdini sometime in elementary school, and oh, then I started calling possible? you Mandini for some reason. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I believe it. I don't remember it, but I believe it. I think so. I think I was always, I always wanted, like we all wanted to get nicknames for each other. And there was like a weird song that I mentioned to Josh. It was Mandini Patini, you love your linguini. And when you are meanie, you turn your hair greeny. That's right. <laughs> oh my God. That's so funny. Yeah. So that's, that's a thing. Josh, do you have a song about her? Clearly not. I guess I don't have a song about Amanda. So I'm, I'm a lesser friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, I think, I think uh, maybe this is sort of uh, unique for the guests you've had so far. I have been listening to the podcast and uh, enjoying myself very much. And um, in the case of both of you, I think we've kept up with each other. Maybe not, uh, you know, super close at all points in the close to thirty years that we've known each other, but but consistently throughout throughout our lives, have, have been connected yeah. with, with both of you. For sure. Yeah. yeah. I love that. I'm, you're awesome, man. I'm just going to start off by saying that. I do. I, I, I'll give it to Aya. You guys are closer, but I'm still so happy that <laughs> we have kept in touch. And I'm sure we'll, you know, we'll get into some of that. But 
um, yeah, it's so awesome to have you on. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we're, we're kind of joking a little with the I'm better friends, but it was because But like also kind of not right. Also kind of not. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I mean, really, <laughs> I mean, Amanda, uh, you've been like probably the person I've been closest with since, uh, from elementary school. That's true. Of the, I mean, like you've mentioned before, we've the, there were six girls, six guys for the most part in our in our small mm-hmm. Hebrew school class. And yeah, of, of all the people in the class, I Aya is 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 one of the classmates that I is really the only female classmate that that I still uh, am in contact with regularly. And yeah, or at least like still have that ongoing connection exactly. where we try to see each other and try to stay connected. Yeah. Yeah, so same here. So to be clear, we were all in the same preschool together, the same elementary school together through grade eight, the same high school together. Mm-hmm. And then did we break off around there? I think Amanda- I, I went to, to, I moved to Toronto. You moved to Toronto and you know, you moved to the big city where we stuck, <laughs> stuck back well, to, yeah. you know, small London. But we've known each other forever and I hopefully we can post one of those pictures of us as like really little kids. Yes, I I said I was going to uh, send you all the uh, all our class photos. I have all of them. We all look great all the time in every single one of them. (laughs) (laughs) The uh, especially, uh, you know, 11, 12, 13, those years were just killing it. Killing it. Not off. Were you the one were you the one who sent that picture? There was like a we should post this. It was a picture of me and Pierce and Michael. We both sent um, that to you, I think. Yeah. You both sent that to me at different times? Okay, because well, that was... Because uh... I sent it to you and you yes, said Yes, I know. It's a, like a bar mitzvah photo where everyone's dressed up. Was it a bar mitzvah young, photo? Young men in suits. Yeah. yeah. Oh. It was from that a was, yearbook. I was like, yeah. blast from the past. It just like triggered even more memories. Yeah. It was a yearbook photo. Okay. Yeah. And um, it was funny because... So I went looking for other photos and um, I found the one from us in like in preschool and... I don't know why I went through like a phase of drawing on those. So like I crossed out or like highlighted people's faces, but you can't tell who I liked and who I didn't like because everyone was just drawn on. So huh. it's not the best. So you probably have a better quality one. Um, what yeah, what so- age was this phase of drawing <laughs> on all your classmates? <laughs> Whatever preschool was. We got the picture and I was like, okay, I'm going to draw. Oh, okay. Okay. At yeah. the time. At the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't like years later. I was like, hmm. I'm gonna draw on these little kids these poor little and they're like the cute everyone's cute when they're that age right so like mm-hmm. it's so mean like I'm just drawing on people like x I don't want to ask who got who got x's through their faces I'm like, gonna leave it there well the thing is you can't even tell I would also draw on people like to highlight that I like them but it still just looks like I drew on them it's you can't of, tell like when you look back you don't even know you know I know you because remember. I know because I remember who I liked <laughs> and who I didn't like for no reason like, did you hate me? I didn't <laughs> did you hate like you. Cross no, me? no. I feel like I feel like you didn't even like I didn't exist in that world. I don't I feel like I, it was separate enough. Yeah, I don't know that I actually liked anyone. Like, I was looking at it. I was like, who did I like? I had my one friend. She had like I was. She was colored on. Amanda, you're you're unscathed. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what that meant. Uh, yeah, I, I'm okay with it. Yeah. Josh, I might have drawn your face a little bit, but I'm not sure what it meant. It wasn't clear. It wasn't a giant <laughs> X, so that's good. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. You turned my smile into a frown. Yeah, I don't know that was possible. You always <laughs> had like a big smile in those. I also looked pissed off during in that photo. Amanda looked super cute, super cute. Anyways, nobody. Yeah, Amanda, that's what I remember. You always were like 
super cute. That's how I would describe you. Super cute. Oh yeah. 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 Because you and were, I'm, I'm pretty sure you were, the, you were like the shortest person in the class, right? Almost certainly. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's why we're always next to each other in photos too, because there are multiple photos where we're right, right next to each other. And we're both we're the, short, the short kids put right in, square in the middle where, where yeah. every little child wants to be. Yeah, exactly. It's where we all wanted to be. Those are the, the key spots. <laughs> that is a, that is a lifelong thing for me in class photos or any sort of group photo event it's always like oh get to the front get to the front middle you know the short ones in the front I'm like oh dang it <laughs> see I always liked being in the back yeah that's where yeah, that's, that's where you should go because I was like that's where the tall people are I was like yeah that's where the cool kids are <laughs> okay so yeah we already went through how we know each other going through our little list here well actually I, I had a question I don't know if this is interesting to anyone yeah go for it but Josh I mean I think we we connected like we, we talked occasionally following high school in high school we spent a lot of time uh we had drama class together yeah I was gonna I was gonna totally, totally yeah. bring that up but I was like yeah so we spent a lot of time together in high school <laughs> in that and I and I had a lot of the same friends so spent yeah. a lot of time together in high school yeah. as well but in university I feel like we maybe talked occasionally but but I wonder if we was there sort of a break and then we reconnected when it feels like there was, was a bit of a break LA? yeah well yeah you visited LA but oh oh I for some reason, the story until just now slipped my mind that when you came to the first time you came to visit. Oh, yeah. LA, that was so oh, my God. Deal. That's a whole story. OK, we'll get into that. Tell the story. Tell the story. <laughs> Want to tell it's it right fun. now? Should we get into yeah. it now? OK, everything's out of order. Who cares? Uh, yeah, we hadn't for a while. I think it's when I, I moved to Los Angeles for grad school. Yeah, you came to visit, Amanda, and I said that you could stay in my house. I'm, I wonder if my landlord's going to like listen to this podcast. Your landlord is not <laughs> listening to our podcast. <laughs> I'm going to pray that is the case. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you don't okay, want to talk about that. This is 2013. This doesn't is... matter. This is same landlord, though. I have the same. I'm living in the same house. Anyway, I moved into this old Victorian mansion. And this was in my first year that I did that. My first year of moving into the mansion. I lived in a different place the year before. So it's my second year in LA and Amanda came to visit and I said she could, yeah, she could like stay over. And you briefly like spread your clothes out on the couch because you had this like dress and it was all scrunched up. So you wanted to like, you know, let it breathe a little bit. And yeah, I, I, I had packed everything in a, in a sort of uh, backpacker's backpack. So everything was just right. scrunched. Right, so it was all sort squished. Of so you wanted yeah. to like, yeah, spread it out. And then while we were, you left it on the couch, I brought you upstairs to show you around the upstairs in my room because it's a cool house. It's an old Victorian mansion. And when we came back down, your clothes were gone. <laughs> they were they were missing. And we were like, what? Like, who took it? You know, <laughs> where did they go? I think my whole backpack. Was the backpack I think, itself I think, gone? I think so. Maybe. I guess. I don't know. I don't remember that. But what I know is that your clothes were definitely gone. And so I, I ended up calling my landlord's like husband. And he, like, apparently it turned out the maid saw this clothes on the couch. And she took it and she locked it in the closet. So we couldn't access the closet. So he had to come over and unlock the closet for, for you. And I remember you were like annoyed because your dress was all scrunched up again in the closet. But it was, it was more, it was like held hostage, wasn't it? Yes. It wouldn't quite of. unlock it. At first, because they were basically, so here's what happened. I, I, was un, I was a little unclear why this had happened, right? And then later that day, I got like a, a message from my landlord. She was like, I, we need to talk. And I'm thinking like, oh, okay. You know, <laughs> I was like, I don't, I, I remember telling her like, I'm not sure I can do it today. And she's like, don't mess with me. I'm like, what? That's weird. And so I like, 
I, I'm like, okay, when do you want to, I'm like, I can't do it till much later. So at midnight, I went over to her house. She lives two houses down. She lives like in the house next to our house. Cause she owns like four of these mansions in a row, four or five of them. And I went into her house. It was like a horror movie. Like she let me in at it midnight. Sounds like it. Yeah, yeah, it was scary. I, I remember you were just like, where, where were you at the time? Cause they were all. So I had to just, first time in LA, uh, I had to just go occupy myself because if I was found at the house, this mm-hmm. would be a worse situation. I wasn't supposed to be there. Guests weren't supposed to be there. The issue yeah. was that someone unauthorized was in the house. Yeah. And what? she made it, she had like beliefs that were even worse than what it was. So I got there and, you know, I remember trying to be all, I'm like, clearly she's some sweet middle-aged lady that I just, you know, we just, there's a misunderstanding. I'll clear it up. I get in the house. I'm like, oh, hello. She doesn't even talk. She's a sit. She like, you know, she's like, shut the door, sit. And she sits in this like, have you ever seen Get Out? It reminded me of like, get out. <laughs> she sits in this uh, this chair. Apparently she was, she's a family therapist, I should point out for some reason. She's like a psychologist, which just makes it even weirder. And I sit down across from her and she's like, she's like, so tell me about this incident. And I'm like, incident? And she's like, don't, maybe this is where she said, don't play dumb with me. Uh, <laughs> she said something like that again. And I was like, what, you talking about the clothes on the couch? And she goes, the wet clothes on the couch. And I was like, I don't, I don't think they were wet. And she's like, are you calling my husband a liar? And I'm like, okay, whoa, (laughs) this is like, this is going way, like, where is this going? Right? She basically accused me of, she has, you know, she's very OCD, apparently about like her furniture. And she thought that the clothes were wet and like soaking into the couch and destroying her furniture. And she was like, this costs thousands of dollars and you're going to cost me thousands of dollars. And I'm like, what? And she's like, so who is this, uh, this girl? I, she, she asked me about you. Right. And I'm like, Oh, it's, um, uh, this is a friend of mine. She's like, Oh, so, uh, a girlfriend. I'm like, no, 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 she's not my girlfriend. She's just, she's a friend of mine. She's like, Oh, I, I see what this is. I'm like, Nope, it's not, it's not that either. I'm like, what are you, this is none of your business. Why are you asking me these questions? Like she was just like, stirring things up oh my god it got like it got really bad she's like I have patients to see in the morning and you are keeping me up really late and you're like messing me up for work the next day and I'm like she but you invited me here at midnight what are you talking about she's like blaming me for it she's like my friend is dying and you are keeping me from seeing my dying friend and for some reason she made me feel like I was murdering her friend by doing this Anyways, this like freaked me out. She so sent me back home. She made me, she made me prom. I wasn't murdering her friend, but she made me, she apparently told other people this exact same story. She's a manipulative narcissistic sociopath. I didn't know that at the time. So at the time she's like, she's like made me promise that Amanda would never step foot in the house again or else. It was like really scary. Jeez. And so I remember coming back to Amanda and like trying to explain, I was like shaken by this it was like I was like new at the house she made it seem like she was gonna kick me out of the house somehow and I know Amanda was just trying to like <laughs> get by that day she's very confused it was very upsetting yeah so, yeah so what I what I did is because I couldn't be in the house until Josh had worked it out was I'm just wandering through you live near Koreatown right yeah yeah I'm wandering through like LA suburban uh plazas at night at midnight like late. And so I found a bubble tea place and I like hung out with some guys there. We played cards and I drank like, bubble tea and just some guys, <laughs> just some guys who so might have worked adventure. there were just, yeah, just had my own adventure. And I'm walking around at night, which is really unusual for LA. And I actually had like some people in a minivan pulled over. They're like, are you all right? Like, oh. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm just killing time. <laughs> 
Um, and then I just hung out in that parking lot till I heard from Josh. I don't know how late it was. It was late. I felt so bad, Amanda. I remember it this was, was like, but this it was, was actually fine. one of the most upsetting. Seeing you was so great. And this experience, not you, but like this experience was one of my worst experiences in LA. I don't, I don't have time to even go into how bad it got, but like this landlord has had it out for me ever since. I don't understand um, though. Doesn't your girlfriend stay over all the time now? Like what? Oh, they have a rule that if it's your girlfriend, they can stay for a couple of days. It doesn't make any sense. I didn't, if, I didn't understand a lot of this stuff. I'm like, oh. what is it? how would you know? I'm like, okay, this guy's my boyfriend then. All right. Like, I don't, Yeah. <laughs> like, what do they know? Anyway, it was, it was a, yeah, that's why I said it. It's like, it was a whole story, but I felt really bad. And that was like, what Amanda and I, like, that was our interaction when we, and we then moved to LA for the first time. we became time. great friends again. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I that's hope you weren't upset at me at the time. Oh, gosh, no, no. I mean, I had no idea what was happening, and you were ostensibly letting me stay at your place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, you, you, did you still stay that night? I don't think you had to find something that night. We still... No, like, no, I, I stayed there. I think I slept on your bedroom floor or something. Something. We, we figured something out. There was a mat, yeah, yeah. Air mattress or something, right? Yeah, it all worked yeah. out. Okay. Yeah, you came to visit again another time. That was cool. Mm-hmm. You definitely didn't stay over. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, you could now. Now I understand how things work, by the way. Not that I, I know that it's like, there's like PTSD about this now. But yeah, you could totally stay over again if you wanted to. But also, I understand it's not. <laughs> and then I've come and we've hung out also in Canada when I came back to visit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this will probably come up again later, but you also acted in a movie uh, <laughs> that I <Yeah>. directed. <laughs> so, but we'll talk about that later. Okay. Cool. I was giving me this look the whole time, like wrap it up, Josh. We I wasn't giving you a look stuff. the whole time. It was just that <laughs> I was like, I'm so sorry. I had to remember. I like didn't come back to me. Yeah. So, okay. So we heard, so apparently you've been listening to the podcast as we've been yes. doing it. Have you had any thoughts about it? Has it brought back any memories from childhood for you? Yeah. I mean, especially at first there, cause there are things that, that you remember and you bring up that are just like, it's, uh, like hits you like a wave of Oh, wow. Yes, we were. That, that happened to all of us. I mean, yeah. I, I'm really giving great specific examples here, but but it does. It's just sort of like a, a network. You know, you'll mention something and then it'll tie to something else that I remember as a kid and tie to something else. And you're like, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I remember being all together at that little Hebrew day school. Yeah. 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 So it's it's been a, a lot of memories uh, and also just great to hear you talk. It feels like we're hanging out. That part's really oh. nice. Yeah, that's what we hope. We hope it feels that way. Mm-hmm. And great, and great. Also, uh, from your other guests, just hearing the conversations that you've had so far is is super interesting. Yeah, I'm Pierce glad. And Michael. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And and also hearing what's so interesting is you know hearing about both your and and their um, internal lives when we were little kids because your internal life when you're a kid is like doesn't seem complicated at the time. And then, or at least to each other, you know, you're like a little bit flat to each other because you're figuring out yourself and you're still perceiving the world in 2D. I don't know. Your, your cognition isn't fully developed. Josh knows way more about this. But, but yeah, that, that sort of, um, you know, for example, Pierce and Michael and, and yourselves having, you know, these things going on in their heads that, you know, we don't know about when we're actually in it as little children. It's true. So that is a great segue into our next question, Amanda. How, well, you don't have to start. We don't want to put that pressure on you, but either how did you perceive us or how do we perceive you as kids? How do we perceive each other as children? Well, um, I was super cute. 
You were super yeah. cute. <laughs> that is number one. You were the cutest little kid. And okay, I have to say, you have pink tails on right now. <laughs> yeah. That's like and flashing I, back already to like, yeah. like remembering you as a kid. With your little pink tails. It was so cute. And I remember you were really, I guess I'm sorry. Sorry. I guess I remember you really being very artistic. Uh, Amanda, I was telling you on the phone, I had like, I found in my closet recently, I had like a, a paper with all these animals sketched on them that they were sketched by you because I asked you to like give me all your all the animals written out uh, drawn out so I could practice and like try to learn um yeah you were always really artistic but like just smart in general I think you were you were particularly known for being artistic I remember you playing piano and like various other instruments so I think you were just like a very impressive child <laughs> and also just like I only I only played piano you only play piano, but you were in Kiwanit. Didn't you sing as well? I sang, yes. Yeah. yeah, okay, sorry. So two instruments, one being your voice, I don't know. Yeah, and I mean, we're, like I said, we were, like occasionally we were kind of friends-ish, like we would kind of intersect at times. And like, I remember having really fun conversations with you. Like there was one conversation where we totally lost track of time and got like left behind at yes. Daniel Botner's birthday party. Do you remember? Yes. Yeah, we were having such a great time talking in the backyard. We were on the little, yeah. that great little swing set. Yeah. And everyone just packed up and went to the skating rink or the pool or wherever it was. So we were yeah. just hanging out in the backyard. Rink. Yeah. It was a skating rink. And it's funny because like in my mind for so long, that was the, the party where we got left behind. And I realized like we probably ruined Dan's birthday party because they had to come back for us. Do you remember that? Anyways, they, did we walk over to someone else's house? Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. we were like, yeah. we're lost and left behind. So we were like, we're children. We were like, what's happening? So we walked out and I was like, I think I know where we are. And I we ended up walking to um, Elena Peretz's house because I was like, I know that house down there. So we'll we get walked an adult there. to contact yeah. the other adults like, in this situation. <laughs> yep. And then they came back and they were like, where are they? So it was a whole thing. Anyways, but yeah, um, oh, that's a nice yeah. memory. Yeah, so we have some fun memories together. Yeah, um, but yeah, I remember we were like friends, but we were never the closest. But we were also like occasionally we'd kind of get together to be up for some mischief. We're like the two small ones. We're like we could be. Yeah, mischievous. yeah. It's interesting the way the way you put it because um, when I think about you, I mean, I'm reiterating some of the things that have been said about you by by some of the other guests and about Josh, but. But yeah, I mean, you were, Aya, were, were um, very, like, you were very cool. You were, you were definitely, like, the cool girl, um, played in part when you were a kid, like, oh, your mom's a teacher, your mom's here all the time, that's so cool. I think later, you know, I gave some empathy for, okay, but that's probably not, not fun all the time. No, it was, it was pretty cool. <laughs> she listens to this, so I, I like to, yeah, it was super cool. She's the best. I loved having her around all the time. Yeah, and you danced. I always thought dance was super cool. I that was something that I had no talent for. I was very, I was very uh, impressed that you danced. It, it's funny because being such a small class, like we were, I felt very much like we're all connected. We're all family. We're all just are, we're we're with each other all the time. So yeah, we weren't necessarily like I think through a lot of that. I sort of had my best friend in the class, and you had your best friend in the class. But we all, you know, very often there's all the girls would have sleepovers, and we'd all yeah. hang out all the time. I feel like. A lot of things yeah. were done in groups. Um, but yeah, uh, I think, I mean, I mentioned this also to you on the phone, but I should say, I think I think I was also uh, also a bit jealous of you growing up, like when I think about it now. Um, 
and uh, did some things to mess with you. I don't know why. I used to just lie. I used to, as a kid, I would lie just to like see what would happen. Huh. Um, yeah. So like I mess with well, you too because I was I wait, think there's like yeah. that kid jealousy where you don't know what to do with it. So yeah. you're like, I want to hurt her. <laughs> not like a, not not, <laughs> not like a really knew, bad who way. Who knew that was going on in Amanda and little Amanda's head? I want to. Oh yeah. <laughs> so well, we funny. we are definitely going to talk about this. But, yeah, uh, I don't know what. Yeah, I I was surprised when you told me that on the phone, like that you were that you would have had any jealousy because I just and I was saying this as well. I always felt like you were like on your own, like you didn't care what anybody thought, like you did your own thing. And I think part of the reason that maybe we weren't as close was because I liked people who followed my lead. And I was like, she's not gonna, she's, she does her own thing. She does not care what you, like, not that she doesn't care, but like, um, you know, you weren't an easily malleable child, which is a good thing. Like you were like on your own, people can't see the hand motions I'm making. Yeah, I was, I was doing this straight and narrow salute the, kind of thing. Yeah, she's got her own way. She does not care. And yeah, and I mean, I remember you had your own friends that you were already close with. So I was like, okay, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be able to infiltrate that friend group. So, so I, I didn't, but uh, can you, can you give us an example of how you used to mess with me? You gave me one on the phone. I don't know if you remember any others, but yeah, I'll, I'll just, I'll give this one because I think it's silly is I used to have like we had we had not a sugar-free household but we had like a fairly nutritious household we didn't have a lot of like junk food or, or juice and things like that and I had fruité which for some reason was this like sugary fruit punch and I was really I really wanted it and I took one of Aya's uh, empty bottles after lunch one day and the next day I went home and I like filled it with water and I added food coloring so it looked bright like a fruit punch and I was like Aya I have this new flavor do you want to trade me for yours <laughs> I love it. You also, did, like, I think immediately you must have known like this tastes like nothing. I only vaguely remember that whole like I remember the fruité and I actually have thought about it. I'm like, I, I remember so my mom, like because I've talked to her about this, I'm like, what you just gave me whatever I wanted. She's like, you wouldn't eat, you don't understand. I had to give you something that you would eat. So like occasionally, because occasionally I would have like just bread with ketchup and mustard on it, because I would eat it. So she like <laughs> which is gross, but I, it was one of my favorite foods. So she it really, really is gross. eat it. <laughs> it's so gross, right? Well, I, I still defend that choice, but um, yeah, most people think that's pretty gross. So she would just send me whatever I would eat. So um, yeah, with the fruit, I don't think we realized how much sugar there was in that because it's terrible for you. I, I can't <laughs> believe I, I drank a giant one like every day. It's really bad, but yeah, that's pretty funny. I'm sure I was just confused as to what was happening. I don't know, who knows. Or maybe I was just yeah. a lot healthier Whereas that for me, day. like I put a lot of emotional effort into this, uh, <laughs> into this room. <laughs> Realistically, you just made me healthier because I drank water <laughs> instead of water and food coloring instead of a sugar drink. Josh, how about you? What do you think? How about me? How about you? you You've know, been so quiet. I, it's it's very unsettling when you're quiet. I'm see, so this is why I get. I, get I know. Conditioned not I appreciate to be. it. I appreciate <laughs> that you were quiet because you let us like reminisce. Um, no, it's great. I actually don't have as much, in a sense, I don't have as much to reminisce, right? Like that, like you're you guys were clearly a lot, cl yeah, <laughs> especially in elementary school. Yeah, uh, there was different. more of a divide for sure. I didn't know, Amanda, that you were such a prankster. I didn't know this. <laughs> this, is a, this is a new info. She was mischievous. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you definitely, I've been told before that I have like a mischievous smile. I think you also have a mischievous smile. 
you know there's a little like something, <laughs> something something's going on uh so it makes sense uh I, yeah I just I mean I remember you were super artistic in fact if we were to pick the artsy one of the class you were the artsy one you know whether it was drawing or singing I remember singing you were singing a lot uh in choir right talent shows I don't remember a specific thing in talent shows I just know that you did, did yeah cool stuff yeah I liked performing and then honestly that's um I don't have a lot of like other specific memories in that in that regard of you I just I always I knew that I, I always thought you were you're really cool and you were very smart I I, didn't, I don't think I ever had like a negative thought about you um, oh that's very up. nice oh um, I was doing all the negative thinking about myself so like I took I took oh. away the need for you, oh, for no. you guys to, I mean I didn't have a negative thought in a sense I didn't personally have a negative thought about Aya either I knew that Aya wasn't always very nice to everybody <laughs> but <laughs> I, I just did the most amazing single eyebrow cock <laughs> <laughs> but I, I didn't personally have like a negative thought of you at the time either but I remember like I didn't so like yeah learning you were this prankster or whatever I'm like oh like maybe maybe Amanda was a little more prankster. yeah she was she was you had you had more depth than I realized <laughs> we didn't know each other that well in, in elementary yeah. school as kids I knew you a little better in high school of course mm-hmm yeah, yeah, that sums it up, I think. And Amanda, yeah. what do you think of Josh? How did you? Yeah, I mean, I mean, Josh? it's sort of at the same level, right? Like we were, it, it was sort of this girls and boys division. Um, yeah. Josh was one of the boys. Um, I do remember, of course, some of the things you brought up about things that teachers said about you and put you on the spot or time things like that. I think you were. A little easy to pick on I hope I, I hope you I'm glad you don't have memories of me picking on you I don't remember picking on you I hope I didn't but I think also with the fact that you talked a lot came with sorry can I say that you talked a lot yeah I talked a lot <laughs> we talk about <laughs> that constantly here he knows yeah so 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 I think with that also though like came with knowing you were very smart because you had a lot of things to say and they always sounded very smart Oh, this ah. is a, so I, I did a thing. I left my alarm on. I'm turning, I'm turning my alarm off right now because that's my medication alarm. And uh, I take medications for mental health both evening and morning. And I thought I should be realistic here. Uh, it's 8.30 PM and uh, I take evening medications. I take, I have them right here. Um, I take a uh, mood stabilizer called Memotrogene. I take a antipsychotic called quetiapine that's sort of new for me last year um and these are medications i take to manage bipolar disorder and yeah i just wanted to be uh to bring you all into my my routine that's uh this is just sort of a everyday reality for me and i thought i'd just let that interrupt whenever it did can i ask when did that i'm guessing this isn't something that you were aware of in elementary school no no <laughs> certainly not so the way i'll just i guess i'll sort of describe the way i was in elementary school at least so Mm -hmm. um the sort of revelation or diagnosis and as sort of diagnosis is its own kind of uh very fraught thing all over the course of my life but the bipolar diagnosis came very late and the way sort of my I guess maybe broadly we're talking about mental health uh today because yeah. I'm a person who has a lot of experience with the mental health care system uh with dealing with mental health and having complications of mental illness uh throughout my life and uh, you know, so that's, that's why in particular, <laughs> why, why I'm the guest on, on this episode. Is that right? Is that fair? Oh, no. I mean, we well, just, 
it's not the only reason you're our guest. No, not in a bad way. No, 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 no not in a bad way. I think that's, I think that's, <laughs> no, I, I mean that, I mean that in a, in a good way. It was probably like, who would be, I mean, there were a few options for who would be capable of it, like of talking about that or who would be, I don't, I don't know what saying qualified. You just want like, me for my illness. Yeah. <laughs> Um, oh, no, I yeah, that. It's also your, your <laughs> ability to be able to talk about it, though. I think you have like, you know how to educate as well. You know, when you when you talk about that, I think that's uh, quite the talent to have. Not that there's um, any kind of pressure to do that. It was more. Yeah, just... but also that's also it's you. We wanted to bring you on because it's like, ah, Amanda. <laughs> yeah, Amanda. and I think it. Yeah, yeah, I'm, ha- I'm happy to be here. <laughs> yeah. I think it's partly, I mean, because we we all talked about how we perceived each other as children, but it must have been so different. And I mean, we've gotten to talk about what it was like for ourselves to be to be the kid. Mm-hmm. What was, but was what was it like for you to be a kid? Were you a happy yeah. kid? Like, were you like, was was life? Yeah. Uh, you know, were you just coasting, you know, like Pierce would say he was just coasting happily along, you know? No. So, so for me, um, mental, sort of mental health or, or rather sort of mental, <laughs> the, the words aren't, the words aren't easy, but, but having sort of my, my mood and my behavior and uh, sort of th- those issues around uh, happiness, I guess, in general, start, started manifesting pretty early. And very early on, I, I was really very angry a lot of the time. And I was really very sad a lot of the time as a kid. And I think I cried a lot. And I was upset a lot. And a lot of that had to do with, um, <laughs> this is gonna sound bad, because I know my family's gonna listen. It, it had to do with how I felt at home. And it wasn't, it wasn't that, um, you know, my family wasn't, wasn't, weren't, weren't bad to me, but I was just, I, I had trouble dealing with, dealing with my home life. And I, and I uh, was upset a lot of the time. I fight with my siblings. Um, and I just really hated it. Like I, I remember one of, uh, so are you going to hear my voice crack a little bit, I guess, because, because it's an emotional subject. Um, even though I, I like talking about it. So don't, don't worry. Don't feel, don't feel sad or bad or anything. Um, cause I'm, I'm, I like talking about it. I like sharing. Um, but uh, yeah, I remember articulating at, at a really young age, um, I remember articulating that I hated life. I hated, or, or rather I hated my life. I didn't hate living, but I hated my life. Um, and it was sort of this, oh, I feel like um, I should have asked to put a content warning up top. Um, I may or may not talk about suicidal ideation and things like that, um, but just content warning for anyone um, about that. But very, very early on, I was, I was sort of grappling with this, like, what does it mean to hate the life that I'm living and want out? Um, and so, yeah, that was, that was very early. So that was like age seven or eight. I was already kind of feeling that way. And seven or eight, you were feeling that way. Yes. Yeah. Quite young. Oh, wow. Um, and I have a social worker mother who is very sensitive to this stuff and could see that that I was in a lot of pain and things were difficult for me. And so uh, <laughs> I told Aya about this inciting incident. I think it's kind of funny. Um, so, so I'll share it, which was, uh, I think probably I would have been around eight. Um, and I was in some sort of fight. I was maybe, you know, you're little, you're screaming, you're having a tantrum <laughs> or something. Um, and I was threatening to jump out of our second story window. Um, because of whatever state that I was in, in argument with my parents. 
And so they really, this really freaked them out, uh, as you can imagine. But in my mind, I think I should, for clarification, I should say in my mind, I wasn't trying to kill myself because there was like a little ledge, there was a chimney, there was like a thing I could slide down. So in my mind, I was like, yeah, this is going to get them really freaked out. You're They're going to feel sorry for me. Yeah, I'm going to parkour down outside the window. I'm going to vault, do a somersault to the floor, and I'm going to be perfectly fine. And they're going to leave me alone because they're going to know that I'm sufficiently <laughs> sufficiently angry to do this. Um, but that really scared my parents, as you as you course, imagine. Yeah. 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 <laughs> We're laughing, but yeah, that's terrifying yeah. as a parent, I'm sure. Yeah. 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 Sorry, parents. Oh, so <laughs> As a kid, too, it's terrifying. You just imagine yeah. being a parent and being like, can we not have windows anymore? Like, if you're a parent, I guess, that you start to think, like, what does this mean, right? Especially if you're that young yeah. and stuff like that, right? Yeah, and they were, they were really worried about me. And so um, at that age, I, I think I think I was eight. You know, either way, it was, it was under 10 years old, right? Um, my family took me to a psychiatrist, a child psychiatrist, and... You know, I was quite young, but I remember a lot about the waiting room. They had these great, uh, you know, the I Spy books where you find all the mm. things that are I love on the page. Books. Great, great times. Great times spent, you know, elementary school and high school. Great times spent in psychiatrist waiting rooms. Just hours, hours of the day reading Highlights magazines, Reader's Digest. Just great time in the mental health care system. <laughs> Sorry, back to childhood. So I saw this guy. Uh, he was a... In my head, he was an old man. He probably wasn't that old uh, with a beard. And and we just talked and he sort of asked me what made me angry. And uh, I, I don't remember a lot, but I remember just sort of like pulling my sweater up over my head and just sort of wanting to disappear. And um, yeah, I mean, I really believed at that time. Obviously, in retrospect, there was like a lot of chemical imbalance things that were going on that were making life really hard to deal with. Um, but at the time, I just thought it's it's my home life, it's my family, it's my siblings, like they are the cause of all my problems. If they just left, life would be fine. <laughs> if I didn't have to deal with my family, they're they're the cause of all my problems because you're, you're little and your life sort of boils down to your family. Um, so yeah, I saw this, saw this child psychiatrist, saw him a couple times. Um, at the time, they don't really tell you like what they think, like a diagnosis or anything. Um, apparently he did tell my parents that I was depressed, but I think they didn't know what to do with that information. I don't think, I don't think I saw him all that long, but just enough to sort of get that information, I guess, and decide what they were going to do with it. Um, I should say, so, so, you know, I was quite unhappy at home, but at school I was, I was pretty happy because I wasn't at home. And I think at school I was, I was happy <laughs> and I, and I liked uh, my teachers and I liked, I liked the school. I liked my friends. I had lots of, uh, I always kept really busy with Girl Scouts and choir. And I was, I was always doing lots of different things and had lots of friends and got along with people really well. And so this is sort of, it's a conflict when you're a kid and, and when you learn to live like this, where you go out in the world and you put on a happy face and you're just like, and I was, I was happy, but I was also, you know, I was struggling as well. Um, you put on this face and you're sort of, uh, people have no reason to think anything's wrong with you. You just become this, you know, I, I sort of, I, I use the word high functioning. I know it's sort of a, I, I don't know if it, if it works for everyone, but for me, I think it was very high functioning with, with sort of the severity of the mental health and, uh, with the amount I was, <laughs> I was suffering at the time. And, um, yeah, when you're when you're high functioning, it's a double-edged sword. You know, you can you can be very successful. A lot of things go right for you, 
um, but then no one knows. Yeah, you definitely seem some... high functioning from the outside. If that's what yeah, sure I mean, about saying. Like, I had no idea. I would have definitely no said high. Yeah, I remember you were even in high school. Like we were in the like. I guess you'll get to how things had progressed from then. But I remember we were in like the math class with all the geniuses and you were <laughs> among the geniuses I was like struggling I was like I don't know why I took this class but at least Amanda's here so it's still fun I was gonna add on too like I remember yeah in high school as I said that's when I thought I at least I thought I knew you better uh <laughs> that was uh we were in drama class together right I don't know yeah. wh- how many years of drama did we take together I took I took all I took drama all four years of high school but I don't know how many we may not have been in the first. At least, were you with yeah. Mr. Winterkorn every year? Yes. Okay, so the very first year I had a different Holmes, was it? Miss Holmes? Wow, oh, yeah. Came back to me. Yeah, I, I, can't, I, I had her in my first year, weirdly enough. But then, yeah, Mr. Winterkorn onwards. But anyway, uh, you and I, we did a lot of drama stuff together, you know, a lot of plays <laughs> and, you yeah. know, saw a lot of sides of each other in that regard. But I, I literally, I, I had no idea um, that you were struggling with anything else like that. I you always seem so, I don't know, cool on the surface. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's all I would have wanted at the time, So, <laughs> which is funny in retrospect, you know, at the time you, you sort of wish, oh, you know, it would have been really great if people had seen how much pain I was in or, or the difficulty I was having. Um, yeah. It's this, especially when you talk about drama, I mean, this is a little bit related, a little bit not, but I have this very complicated relationship with attention because I love performing. I love uh, bringing joy to people through the things that I can do. Um, but I also don't want them to look at me, look at me, but don't look at me, but yeah. Um, notice me, but also don't talk to me about it. Don't tell me what you think. Hmm. Um, I just hoped that no one sort of saw the damaged parts, you know, Hmm. you you want them to see, you want them to see, uh, you kind of want them to notice because it'd be great if someone was there's a thing that's really difficult about mental health, and this is something I think everyone who struggles with mental health knows, is it's so lonely. It's so, so lonely. Uh, and so you want you want a friend in that. But then even having that noticed is sort of an acknowledgement, at least because I think things are much better in terms of talking about things than they were surely two decades ago. But um, I, yeah, if you, if you talk about it, it's like, okay, we're admitting something is wrong and that's not good. I have a question for you, if that's okay. This is just something like I've, I felt personally, I wonder if you can relate on this, like drama and things like acting, you get to pretend to be somebody else. You know, you get to pretend to have a different life. Did you find, were you drawn to that sort of thing uh, and performing because a little bit because of that too, because you get to kind of escape your issues in a sense? Because for I'm me, sure. that, was, that was definitely the case at times. Yeah, I think I think it did provide a relief. It was this play space, you know, where you got uh, it was it was very much and also that you get to do it in high school as you and, and you just have this big black room with black curtains, a black box where everything is just what you want it to be. Um, and yeah. and yeah, you get to you get to pretend to be other people. And sort of to that to that end, that's why I hated improv at the time, was because that was the part that was that was organic and supposed to just come from your brain. I'm like, no, this is the bad stuff. I don't like this part. Whoa. And so uh, improv you class, didn't I had dive deep like that. No, and, and also just worried, you know, what'll come out if I just am naturally flowing, you know? Um, so it sounds more to me like a struggle with vulnerability. I don't know if I, if I can yeah, put that yeah. way. So it's more like, <laughs> yeah. I want you to see me for who I am, but it's super scary to do that. And 
there are parts of me that I don't really want you to see, but it would be, it, ultimately it would feel good, even though like, because even coming on this podcast, I'm, sh- well, I won't assume how it feels to you, but every time we post an episode, especially one where I've divulged anything even remotely personal, it's terrifying. And I'm like, why am I doing, I don't want to do this. Why would anybody? And then it's like, but you also like, when else do people get to know you, right? Like how often, and when people respond to things, it feels like, wow. Um, feels like you're not therapeutic too. Yeah. It's very therapeutic. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that was, there are much better explanations of. No, that was, that was, that that was was perfect. Yeah. That was, that really, that really encapsulates well. Vulnerability is such a huge part, right? Yeah. Um, I have three siblings. I'm the oldest of, of four and we're very, very competitive household because uh, it was just, you know, we're all, all very high performing people and we all have lots of interests and sometimes we have the same interests. And so, yeah. you know, what happens when, when there's competition within the household, you know, you can't be vulnerable in your family. Otherwise your, your siblings are going to jump on it. It's not like we were so terrible to each other, but, but also, you know, when you're kids, you, you, you kind of look for each other's vulnerabilities. You kind yeah. of, you know, poke at each other, test boundaries and, and so being vulnerable also is, you know, it's a liability in a, in a big household. Do you For feel sure. Like you spent yeah. a lot of your time, like much of your time trying to hide who you were, like, or hide, not hide maybe who you were, but hide this part of you. Like it was always trying to get out and you were trying to hide it. Um, I wouldn't say so because I mean, I think through what I was talking about, the way I sort of projected myself as a kid is being sort of like going my own way and being pretty pretty strong-minded. I, I think I had a good sense of myself and I was, I was happy with who I was. Um, if that makes sense at, at the same time, I, I don't know that it was so much hiding it as sort of just almost just pretending it doesn't exist, you know? Right. Mm. Right. So then for you, like you didn't, I see there's, there's a difference there for sure. And yeah. It was sort of like, you know, you leave your house and you just try to shake it all off and I'm a different person out here. Mm. Like going into the black room of the drama class. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're talking about vulnerability within the family and with the siblings, did you feel like some of your struggles with mental health as a kid might have been part of that or part of, might have been fodder for, you know, the siblings? Uh, And I mean, you got it. You got it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, well, yeah. And it was, um, it was something that was, there was a lot of stigma with it because you know, I was the, I was the oldest and I was going through something. So it was very visible. Um, and, uh, when I went to this doctor, um, and my siblings found out that I was seeing a doctor, I don't even think like I was eight. So my siblings are, you know, six and under, they're really young. Um, and, but they understood there was something like to feel bad about there. And so they would just taunt. They would sort of chant the name of the doctor, like Dr. So-and-so, Dr. So-and-so. And like, not even knowing, you know, what it was for or why they were doing it, but, but that it made me feel bad and it made me angry. And, and it was stigmatizing because now they had something, three siblings, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, had, had something that, that made me feel bad. And so, you know, that's, that's a little bit of um, uh, cannon fodder, I guess, for them. And it, it was hard because, you know, I wanted the help that I was getting. Because even though it was like a really uncomfortable experience to talk to some guy in a room that you don't know, um, it was, uh, I don't know, it was important that I was getting that help. So it was a very complicated. I mean, you get stigmatized even in your own family. And uh, yeah, it, it certainly didn't help that I was starting to get mental health supports 
because the other, the other part of that is there was sort of an expectation after I saw the psychiatrist, I think, I think didn't see him for too long. Then my parents uh, signed me up with this art therapist. And that I actually really liked because I liked art. Cool. So we sort of draw our feelings. So that was great. And I would, you know, That's draw. Cool. I actually, little point of pride, um, they used one of the drawings I made for the flyer uh, for the clinic. Um, it's a little drawing of, of a Aww. hand and a pencil drawing a couple, a happy face, sad face, medium face. Awesome. I mean, that's face. not a surprise uh, for those of us who knew you as a kid. Like you were, mm -hmm. you were super good at, at uh, <laughs> anything you, it, artistic. It's, it's yeah. pretty, well, I, at least from a child's point of view, I guess I won't. I won't <laughs> I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure you're just being, she's just being modest, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> was that, was that at that time, was that picture shared? Like, did we in the class ever see that? Um, I don't think we knew anything about it. Like a hand of a that drawing? A, yeah, it's possible that the flyer was up on a bulletin board or something. It's, it's I don't possible. know why I thinking, feel like I... You're thinking of the M.C. Escher hand drawing another hand. Yeah, that's definitely what he's thinking of. Maybe, but I feel, I don't know. I remember Amanda being able to do cool stuff like that. I don't know, actually. I'm just assuming I know what he's thinking of. Like, I don't even I like, know. I like, like, you're just like a... Yeah. <laughs> like, Josh, you don't know what you're talking about. So mean. Um... <laughs> And Amanda, uh, but yeah, so I was I was yeah. seeing this art therapist uh, for some time, and there was sort of this expectation. Uh, this is still in elementary school, so I did see this art therapist, and then later a psychiatrist. Um, we'll get into her in a moment, but um, with this art therapist, and I think in general, if you're getting mental health support there was this sort of feeling like, okay, you, now you have your place where you go to be angry and sad. And when you come home, you behave yourself. When, you oh. when you're home, now you can't be angry and sad because that's where you go. We did the thing, we put you in therapy. So go there, get all your sads and mads out and come home and- outsourcing <laughs> your feelings? Don't be a monster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was hard, right? It was sort of uh, this expectation of like, oh, it's squared away and everything at home is going to be okay now. And so it sort of almost heightened that difference of, or that differentness, I guess, that I felt. Right. Like you're not allowed to feel how you feel at home. You're supposed yeah. to save those feelings for over there. Yes. Uh, yeah, where it's feeling time. And it's yes. so crazy too, <laughs> because like so many, I mean, you feel the things when you feel them, not when you are there for what, an hour a week? in a yeah. room where you're yeah. supposed to feel the feelings. It's like, I don't feel them now, okay? I felt them over. You can't choose. It's not something you I mean, can choose. Yeah. Maybe you felt them then too, but like, it's not, it doesn't work like that. At least my feelings don't work like that. I don't know about you, but. No, no, and especially when you're a kid, you yeah. feel what you feel all the time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, did you feel like that, did that get better as you got older? It sounds, I mean, you seem like you're, doing well now so something must have I mean talk about as little I'm being yeah. I'm putting carefully because I don't want to you talk about whatever you want obviously and whatever you don't want to you don't but is there anything else I mean you, you seemed like you were doing well then too to me so I don't you know yeah. I mean yeah that's yeah. true so who knows we never know yeah that's a good point yeah what's well, sort yeah. of interesting how so I so I mentioned that I guess at least my most recent diagnosis and the one that I think has served me best has been of a bipolar disorder too which is 
basically characterized by swings between two states, one being sort of this major depressive spectrum. And, and of the two, I've, I think I've tended more towards the depressed depression spectrum. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are sort of familiar with what depression feels like, the sort of emptiness or deadness or, or just really uh, not feeling joy out of life or feeling just uh, depressed. A lot of people understand that now, so I'll just leave it there. But the other end of that, that is, um, sort of different from, you know, we hear a lot about depression and anxiety. A lot of people struggle with that. Um, What makes bipolar a little bit different is on the anxieties, which is the sort of um, like the the high energy, the upper high energy version. Yeah. The high energy end uh, is a little bit different in that um, it's sort of characterized by a couple of things, sort of the hyperactivity of um, really fast talking, really racing thoughts, um, a feeling of superiority or or like like you're you're the person you're like the person who's going to change things you've got all the right ideas you're killing it you're doing amazing you can do anything this really hyper elevated sense of self which sounds great until you start to sort of um detach from reality a little bit so there's a little bit of that that really benefits me and i you know like i said i I can be really high functioning yeah yeah so so for bipolar one, they'll call it mania. Um, oh. For bipolar two, it's hypomania, which is just a little bit less than mania. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the difference there is people who have manic episodes, fully manic episodes, will usually be having some sort of psychosis. So they'll actually sort of have a have a, a break from reality and sort of, uh, right. yeah, like an actual, actual sort of uh, delusion. And with hypomania, it's sort of, it's close, but not quite. So, so I've had, I've had these sort of um, times when I was what I would describe as delusional, not in the sense of you hear from some people who have bipolar one who uh, have sort of a Truman show experience where they believe they're on their own reality show and everyone's watching them and everyone is part of a set and they really believe that. Or for example, that, um, you know, they're a rock star, but they, but no one knows. Like they're, they're just, they, they're in this separate reality. Whereas for me, it's been, it's been sort of a heightened version where I start to ascribe, ascribe intention to people around me. And I think, I think really negatively to the people around me. I think they think this, they think this, they're like this. And I build up this reality of intentions and, and thoughts. And also what I think I sort of like build myself a narrative and, and that narrative does, uh, it does sort of leave reality a little bit when you're in a hypomania, because you, you get into this state where you believe that you are right and everyone else around you is wrong. Not necessarily, I mean, this is my personal experience of it, but, but it, can, it can lead to a lot, of, uh, a lot of conflict, a lot of missteps because you, you get into fights, you can't understand other people, or you've just got this narrative in your mind where you, things are a certain way. And so you, you can be you know, hyper irritable or uh, hyper excitable. So, so, you know, I've been, I've been there a couple of times uh, in my life where, where I did, I did not leave reality exactly, but it wasn't a place where I, I was totally out of step with, with things around me because of my hypomania, just um, in a bad place, making bad decisions uh, that must've seemed to people around me really irrational. And how, that's the thing. How long, oh, sorry, I was gonna ask, how long does something like that last? Like if you're in that state, like, is it a days thing? Is it a week? Like how long can that Yeah, last? it can be, it can be weeks. It definitely differs for people. Wow. Um, for me, it'll usually be weeks. The thing that is sort of um, like, it really, it really depends on 
the kind of care that that I'm receiving because at times where I was having really where I was getting really good talk therapy and this was even before that I uh, before I received my bipolar diagnosis but when when I had good talk therapy and a really great psychotherapist who understood me and knew what I needed to get out if you a lot of times the hypomania can be broken like it is a chemical thing that's going on mm. but what can really stop it short of its tracks is if you realize oh I'm not I'm not operating in reality right now. And then if that happens, you can sort of the processing starts. So you can kind of process your way out of hypomania, at least for me. Wow. Yeah, so, so even uh, an example um, from a couple weeks ago, there was uh, maybe months now, uh, but at work, uh, there was, I was feeling a lot of pressure, just normal situation, work pressure, a lot of assignments, a lot of things have to happen all at once. And I was beginning to watch myself say things to people that I wasn't in control of. I was noticing myself mm -hmm. uh, say things to people like, I hope you know that you've called me and you're actually really bothering me right now because I'm busy. Like things Whoa, like, you know, cool. just really passive aggressive, really passive aggressive stuff. Um, that seems aggressive aggressive. Not <laughs> maybe it was aggressive. <laughs> um, and I was thinking like, all oh, these people, they're asking so much of me. It's really unreasonable. Um, and, and just feeling all these really negatively about work, feeling really negative. And uh, that evening, I, I smoked a bit of pot. That, that's the thing that comes with hypomania as well uh, for a lot of people is risk-taking behavior. And I'm not saying having some weed is risk-taking behavior, but I don't usually smoke. I don't usually drink a lot, but when you're hypomanic, you kind of want to do that. You want to, you want to, you start pushing, you start drinking, you start, well, I start drinking, I start uh, smoking, um, smoking pot, smoking pot, everyone. Can I say that? This is broadcast in the States. Are they going to arrest me? No, it's, it's cool. it, I think we're allowed but to it's do it legal in the in, now. It's legal. It's legal, it's legal in Canada. <laughs> we're so. good. So she's yeah. doing it in Canada. It's so fine. yeah, risk-taking behavior, you know. I, so, so you know, I smoked a little bit and my brain and the processing started and I was, and I snapped out of it, not snapped out of it exactly, but I thought, oh, you're hypomanic. That's what's happening. That's uh -huh. so obvious. Like once, once you can start, kind of put it together, recognize it and pull it apart, you can start to work your way out of it. At least that's kind kind of like how, how it works for me. Is it kind of like when you're like dreaming and then you realize you're in a dream and then you wake up because you like a lucid dream? Like you're you're lucid hypomania. It can, it can lucid, be like a little you bit. Actually, yeah. You won't. You you can manage to to stay asleep, but like, you know, you know, when you realize you're dreaming, that's when you can wake up. Yeah, I think I think it is a little bit like that. Like I'm I I won't tell too many more stories, but but work. You know, I I will. No, please tell as many. Yeah, stories, stories are ideal. Stories are. <laughs> you know, I work in the in the. Uh, healthcare sector. Uh, right now I work in public health before that I worked at a hospital and I would feel this intense pressure. I would feel a lot of pressure partly from uh, <laughs> I worked for a person who wasn't uh, a very good leader. Uh, I was actually a bit of a bully and so that definitely didn't help the, the situation but um, I was feeling a lot of pressure and I also you're surrounded by people who are in the worst when some people are in hospital for good reasons, but lots of people are in hospital for, for bad reasons and for, for very scary reasons. And there's a lot of heightened emotion all the time. And so that affected me a lot. And I was getting so sick of, uh, of office politics, which everything has, but for me, it was the stakes were so high. I just, I could not understand why people were messing with me. Why is everyone trying to thwart me at every turn? Like I have the answers. If only people would just get out of my way huh. and stop pulling this bullshit 
I don't know. So, so as you can imagine from the way I'm telling the story, I I was becoming hypomanic and I was assuming that everyone was out to get me and that everyone was intentionally trying to ruin my day, what have you. And I was very lucky actually that the, the mini explosion that I did have, which was, I just happened to be in a meeting with someone who saw the way I reacted. Cause I really, I really went off on him unfairly too. I was like, what is this shit? What's happening? Why is this happening? Like, why are people doing this? And he, he saw it. I was really lucky that he was a person who himself had had mental health struggles and without calling it out, without saying like, Hey, I think you need to chill and go get checked out. (laughs) What he told me, he told me his own story about being in a place at work where you are feeling in his case, suicidal and, and feeling like letting work get to you in that way. And, and coming through it and it's sort of something about it, the way he was saying it, I was like, oh, oh my God. Oh, mental health. Oh, this is, oh, okay. All right. Oh, okay. I gotta go. I gotta go think about this. I gotta, <laughs> you know, um, and, and again, another turning point for, for a lot of times for me, these hypomanic episodes, whether they're days or weeks, they, <laughs> that's usually how they, how they kind of culminate is, is it a little bit of a, you realize, oh, I'm really out of step. There's something going yeah. on. That's yeah. Self-awareness. And I mean, it's so, I don't want to say lucky, but like, I mean, it, it, I would feel so grateful when something like, if something like that happened, you know, to have that person help you out with um, recognizing it or kind of like triggering that self-awareness for you to realize like, oh, something's not right. I mean, those people are, they make such a big difference. Um, so, I mean, it's part of why, like, I know people hear mental health, mental health, everybody's everybody hears it all the time as like, Mm -hmm. but it, this is why it needs to be, this is part of why it needs to be more like the education on this a little. Yeah. That's why more people need to be aware of it. Cause then when someone's going through something, you recognize it, you recognize like what's, what's happening for someone else. And like, maybe instead of being like, Oh, that person's uh, I don't know, just dismissing it. You're like, Oh, something's happening. And I know how to, I mean, how many people really know how to deal necessarily, maybe not that many, but like. It's like, you're, no, I wanted to follow on what you're saying there, right? And yeah. Maybe Amanda, you'll, you can check me on this, but uh, there's like a number of different elements of education with it, right? There's educating on mental health itself, but also how to, how to talk about mm-hmm. mental health, right? Because the words you use, the way you talk about it, the way you respond to it, that matters, right? Because Sometimes if we, we go the wrong route there, we can exacerbate a problem, right? We can make things worse. So it's really good. So it's really helpful to have the education to know how to recognize what something is. You know, I, I remember just even with my dad, when I recognized like, oh, these arguments I'm having with my dad that I'm like, oh, he's so irrational about this or that. I remember thinking, having that moment of clarity. And I was like, I'm not arguing with you. I'm arguing with your anxiety right now. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like, once I, once I understood and, and saw the signs of this is an anxiety talking, I had to, I had to tackle that a little differently, you know, instead of getting on the defensive and attacking back and exacerbating the problem that way, right? You know, mm-hmm. making this vicious cycle. Sometimes you can, maybe I'm wrong, but you can like stop it in its tracks just by like getting to the root, you know, getting that insight there a little bit, right? Getting to the root of the issue. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. A lot of it has to do with recognition. Like, like I said, for me, like the things that always pull me out is that self-awareness and recognition, which is what, I mean, a lot of people, a lot of people 
uh, treat bipolar disorder with medications. I do as well. Um, but a huge part of that is, is behavioral therapy. That is a, mm-hmm. one of the proven effective treatments is, is to, uh, you know, mindfulness is a big part of it, but, um, yeah, recognizing, oh, this is what it looks like when this is happening. And I mean, I'm not, I, I, I'm definitely not knowledgeable in behavioral therapy. I, I haven't done a lot of it, but, but it is so much about recognizing that in yourself, recognizing it in other people. I'm guessing Can recognition is obviously not all of it, right? Like just rec- just being like, okay, I have a problem. I'm not cured. It's not like gone, right? But just, it's, okay. a, it's a step, mm-hmm. right? I was wondering also, well, I mean, I guess this is part of, uh, this is related to Josh's question too. Did you do, because I mean like the one that most people have heard about is CBT, like cognitive behavioral mm-hmm. therapy. There's also DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy. That's the one I took a group on that. It was like emotion regulation, but it was dialectical behavioral therapy, which was really, really interesting. Do you, was it either of those or just, was there something else? I, if you want. Yeah, so so di- dialectical behavioral therapy, DBT oh, is, uh, is yeah. indicative for bipolar disorder. Okay. I have a workbook. I've opened it. Yeah. Three times. The, uh, what is her name? Marsha Linehan? Linehan? No, I don't. She's the main. Uh, okay. She's the DBT person? She's one of the main DBT. I think she might have been the one who like coined DBT. It was initially for like borderline personality disorder, but it's useful mm. for most things now. And I loved, I mean, I loved it. I honestly like, I mean, I guess the experience is different for everyone, but like a lot of it to me, I mean, if you boil if you narrow it down a lot it was because cbt for me was like a lot more thinking and i was like i don't want to be in my head anymore the point is i need to get out of my head so Mm -hmm. for me dbt was more like it it was almost like more um physical based it it brought you back to like so anytime i have like a thought um or a feeling like i i suddenly feel like out of like my emotions are out of control I'll be like what does this feel like and that's the that's kind of what it sort of taught us to do at least this group I don't know I mean there's lots of parts of DBT but like so it was like what does this feel like and you're like oh okay it feels like a, a burning in my stomach or something and you know you start to notice how it actually feels and it apparently that rewires your brain somehow I don't know but <laughs> anyways I'm just blabbing on but no that's great I I don't know may I ask what what prompted you to do to take CBT or DBT? Um, oh, uh, well, I just, uh, eventually I was like, okay, well, actually someone was like, I think this would be useful for you. Um, actually someone I was, I was seeing at the time and he had gone through this group and uh, he also had anxiety and he was like, I'm pretty sure you have anxiety. I think you should probably, um, you know, you might want to do something about that. And maybe, and I mean, even just like he was kind of using some of those techniques and I was like oh this is actually helpful because I had tried to look into CBT and some other things and um they didn't really uh, not that they didn't work I probably wasn't doing them right it's different when you're trying to do something on your own with a workbook and when you actually go to a group so um uh when I was initially once I started medication for anxiety uh just like generalized anxiety uh I also part of it is like to also do therapy at the same time. So um, I did this group therapy uh, session, which was actually, I don't want to say it was fun, but I loved it. It was, it was kind of fun. <laughs> um, one of the girls there also told me that I should be a stand-up comedian. So I just- You should be. Thank you. I shouldn't be, I would not be good at that. So I, I loved that group because I was like, oh, I have an audience. I get to talk about all this stuff that, <laughs> um, 
and uh, people are people were relating to just just the basic crazy that goes on. Um, I shouldn't use that word. That's actually a pretty. You know what? I, I my a... policy my policy on crazy is if you have a mental health disorder, you're allowed. You can say. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, generalized anxiety is so it's so common that I I don't I don't know how. Well, I shouldn't dismiss it. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> just everyone with it is like, what the fuck? I, <laughs> You know, you say that you're talking about anxiety as someone who doesn't like, I wouldn't say, I don't think I have like anxiety disorder like that, but I, I've noticed that it's one, of, it seems to be one of the hardest to kind of recognize other people to understand that it's a disorder. I feel like we haven't taken that seriously as a disorder for a long, long time. And more recently, I think people are getting more educated on that and understanding, but I think we used to just, we used to handle it so wrongly because we didn't recognize it as a mental disorder or a mental, you know, a mental health issue. Um, Absolutely. So. I've debated between, is this just my personality or do I have some kind of anxiety? Or is this just, this is just how I am, right? Because I've always been like this. It's never been different. It's not like, oh, I was fine. And then boom, I had anxiety. I was just, I was an anxious kid. I was an anxious adult, whatever. But uh, so if doctor who I was also close with just said no. And I mean, he had a good sense of humor. He was partly joking. He was like, you don't have anxiety. You're just Jewish. And I was like, oh, okay. Classic. <laughs> yeah. So I have wondered if I, if I truly have anxiety or if I am just Jewish. You, you know what the, Amanda, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong here, but like, isn't something considered, like there's a, a threshold when we consider something disordered, right? It's a disorder when it interferes with like normal life, right? Oh gosh, I mean, you would know that better than I do. Yeah, Josh, <laughs> I don't know. Be our mental health dude. <laughs> okay, I'm not obviously okay. Don't I you have a psychology? You're, you're the neuroscience I have a, guy. Yeah, yeah. A neuroscience psychology dude. degree, but like, I again, I, I it's just, it's different also than having like a personal, um, like you know, story here. Uh, mm. I've been thankfully blessed with like decent mental health, you know, all things considered. But I remember reading about this, right? That like for something, if you want to call something a disorder it's because it's getting in the way of what was, you know, quote unquote, mm. normal living in life, right? It's interfering That's uh, a good to point. like a yeah. significant degree, right? Mm -hmm. If you're like totally fine all the time, you know, everyone gets anxious, right? But if you have anxiety, that's a disorder, right? That's, that's something that's, that's like a constant, like constantly interfering uh, to the point that we consider it disordered. So yeah, that's, I think that's when you, you know, you go to a psychiatrist or psychologist or, you know, or a therapist and someone can help you recognize what is and isn't disordered, right? And you also have to be able, I guess, to recognize that in yourself. You, if you feel it's disordered, then it's probably disordered, right? Like you, you know how things affect your, your life, right? Yeah. And, and it, it made me think of, I, I didn't really answer. I just jumped into talking about what hypomania was, but you're asking me sort of how I got uh, to, to where I am now in, in a sense. Um, but one of the things that when we, when we hit high school, shortly into high school, I started seeing a, a psychiatrist who diagnosed me with depression off the bat and wanted me to start a medication. And there was something kind of freeing about that to say, oh, I've been feeling so miserable for so long. There is a name for what this is. And it is a, it is a scientific reason why everything feels so out of whack. Um, she was wrong. I didn't have depression. And antidepressants actually can make uh, bipolar mood cycles worse, mm. uh, more dramatic and more frequent. So 
bad psychiatrist. I'm wagging my finger at you. Oh. So wait, she so was, bipolar though, doesn't it, does it, correct me if I'm wrong, it shifts though between like depressive and manic kind of mode, yes. but it's not depression. No, no, it, it's not because um, the treatment for depression usually will be uh, uh, an SSRI, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. And it's, it's just, it's medically different. I mean, kind of the, the treatment is different. Uh, right. based on based on your some mood tendencies uh different medications will have different effects like and the kind of fun thing about stuff going on mm -hmm, yeah the fun thing about mood stabilizers and i was so i was on antidepressants for a really long time and they were making things worse and i didn't know it because i figured oh i'm in a doctor's care so this must be better than the alternative which is nothing so so i'll just keep on this path but i was on all sorts of antidepressants through high school uh, and they kept switching because, oh, this one isn't working. So let's try a different one. Let's try a different one. Right, she was not a good psychiatrist. Yeah, trial and error. I think she was funded by the drug industry way more than she was interested in <laughs> interested in helping me. Because I would just talk. And uh, this is another thing that I, that I like saying basically is don't trust all mental health professionals. Some are bad. Some are good. If it doesn't feel right, leave. Mm -hmm. um, this person, I sort of said to her at some point, hey, I'm not really feeling like I'm getting anything out of this. And she was like, well, you're not saying anything useful. Oh, and I was like, oh, what? all right, that's on me then, I guess. Because <laughs> she didn't prompt me. It wasn't talk therapy. Talk therapy can be really amazing. I, I found it at certain points in my life has brought me up from, from really the brink from, from feeling, you know, at times like I wanted to end my life. Talk therapy has pulled me back and, and helped me work through that stuff, even without medication or without a change in medication talk therapy can be really powerful when it's good but some people don't know how to do that and sometimes psychiatrists who are more on the medication that's their expert is expertise is, is medication for mental health sometimes they really aren't good talkers and they aren't good at um you know they should be good at diagnosing but uh sometimes they're not good at either so they yeah, have to be able exactly. to diagnose right they have to that's interesting it's not like when you go to the doctor and or somewhere you get like an MRI and someone tells you you have a tumor or you have something like it's not so exact. They talk to you first and then they go, oh, it seems like this. And then you get like right. prescribed drugs. Right. And I, I guess just to be clear, right, the difference between a psychiatrist and a psychologist, right, psychiatrist went to medical school and yeah. they are able to prescribe drugs. You know, psychologists yeah. in general, barring some exceptions that I've heard about, they don't generally aren't their job isn't to prescribe drugs, their job is to like, more, you could be talking and that yeah, kind of- Yeah, therapy. psychologists usually yeah. work work from frameworks. Their, their job mm -hmm. is to apply many of the clinical frameworks that they understand about how the brain works, about how families work, about mm -hmm. how people work, uh, to apply those frameworks and find out what, what you need. But yeah, usually mm -hmm. outside of, of drugs. And then psychotherapists, which are not, not newly registered, but a fairly recently registered profession in Canada are really sort of what you think of when you think of a counselor or someone who whose emphasis is is the talk is the relationship building right as opposed to a psychologist who's who's probably looking I'm, again i don't i haven't really seen psychologists but my understanding is they're usually looking for a framework that you fall into um and psychotherapy is usually more about relationship building um between you and the person just someone right. who is good at talking with you and they of course have their own but frameworks as well but it's a little bit uh, it's a different approach. It's like, so psychiatrists, so how do they, like, how do they go about knowing what to prescribe you? Like, is it just from talking to you? 
they have history. Oh, you fill out. You're, you fill out. So you you fill you fill out forms. Yeah. Sometimes it is. It's questionnaire, and if you score sixty five and above, you have this. Uh, and of course, that's with mental health. There, there's obviously so much more nuance. So, I think I, I expect for a lot of people there's trial and error in terms of finding out what works. But it it is so it is really hard because it's not like you can take an X ray and see oh this person has this particular disorder or maybe no disorder. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a crapshoot. <laughs> I mean, I have friends here who who suffer from uh, bipolar disorder as well, and they're all. I, I hear a lot of like, I'm trying a new medication this month. You know, I'm trying a new, and the other one was making me. I think it was working, but it was making me tired more easily. So I'm switching to this other one. And then a weekend, even I'm noticing a difference, right? And they're like, I think this medication is maybe not working. Maybe I should go back to the other one. But I was so hard sleep wise. You know, I could see there's a lot of struggling with that trial and error, right? Trying to find, because when they're recommending things, it's often try this, see how it works. If it doesn't, yes. we'll try something else, right? Mm -hmm. I filled out, um, I had like a, a sheet where I would fill out every day my mood. Like when I first started taking um, this, my the psychiatrist I was seeing at the time had me uh, fill out every day, how many hours of sleep you're getting, um, like what your mood is on a scale of whatever, like. I think it was like one to five, whatever. And um, like any other things, like you would note it. And then I would see it, it would end up in a little like chart. That's kind of, it's cool. And I got, I'm a little, I love, we talked about this last time, but I love like planner type things. So oh. I was like, <laughs> every day I was filling this out and writing in my journal about like, oh, I think it's making me feel like this. And I, it's kind of weird to, because you feel like you're experimenting on yourself all the time. You're kind of just seeing. So you're, the more information you have, the better, because you really, then you can look at it and be like, oh, this is how different it was. Or like, even just journal entries, there was sometimes less to write because I was like, everything's fine. I'm, ha I'm happy. <laughs> I was like, Are you what? pretty good at self-assessment? I get afraid of self-assessments. I feel like I have this fear that I'm wrong about my own self-assessment every time I'm filling something out and I'll like change my answer. Like, I'm like, wow, I just changed it to the exact opposite because in this moment, I thought the opposite. Like, I feel like, I, I guess statistically they work, but. I don't know. I, don't I mean, know. I think there's some amount of uncertainty about your own self-assessment, like, especially when you get very, you just have to, I don't know. I, I mean, it's it's not perfect, but there's what perfect way best. is there. There's no MRI for your mood either, so. <laughs> It's so interesting hearing, like for for you, Aya, the the fact that you you get a lot out of writing this down. I hate workbooks. I hate journaling. I have so much trouble with that introspective part. Mm. And um, I'm so glad that that's that that's a technique that works for you because that's what they say. That you know, it's proven. Yeah. I also feel like some some uh, psychologist is going to listen to what is going to listen to this and be like, she doesn't know what the heck she's talking about. Uh, <laughs> so I just take it back. That was that was my rough assessment of what various professions do. I mean, I don't know. I I, I think like introspection can help, but it, you can also get really lost in it and like. I think I naturally tend toward the introspective just because I don't know why I'm very comfortable alone. And I think part of why that is, is because I, I'm very okay just being in my own head to the point that like, when I have lived with other people, I used to, I, I'll jump whenever someone comes in the room or I walk by them, I'm like, oh my God, like as if I've seen a ghost. <laughs> and uh, at one point I was like, you know, you don't live alone, right? I'm like, God, part I was of me spending knows, some quality time with myself, like all right? Yeah, I get really stuck in there. So, I mean, 
it can be good and it can be a tool because like, I mean, it, I think it was good for being on meds for the first time. Cause I was like, I have been analyzing exactly how I've been feeling. And I remember noticing as well, like from the first day, they were like, you probably won't notice anything. And I was like, okay, so I'll wait a few weeks. The next day I was like, I feel totally different already. Like, and, and I thought maybe it's placebo effect. And then I was looking into it and I asked and she was like, mm, it depends. And like, if you're very, if you like pay a little too much attention to yourself, uh, <laughs> which so I'm just very self-involved. No, that awareness is important. It can be helpful. No, I, I don't know. I'm just trying. No, to... it's good to have that kind of awareness because then you know best how you feel. Like you should at least, right? So, like again, you're gonna know better than somebody, pres- unless it, unless again, like unless they can, someone can give you a test that like measures your brain or body in like mathematical accuracy. Yeah. What you tell them about how you feel is. Yeah going to be the best assessment right no in that case it was very useful because I, w- I could explain I remember explaining to her like you know it feels like um I mean so this is an SSRI uh, just one of those most common ones and I was like it feels like a like a an electrical wire um that was like having sparks and stuff like <laughs> like a bare wire has an insulation on it and just I, I don't feel like my emotions are like sparking off in my uh at myself constantly I have yeah, so it, it can be helpful for sure. I don't know. Did you ever notice like big differences like that, Amanda, when you? I, it's, it's hard to think back to sort of when I first started medications when I was 14, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, grade nine, very close to the beginning of high school is when I started going on medications. And I think there would be a little bit like of maybe it was optimism mixed with, you know, also, when you're when you're a teenager, your brain is busy. You're doing you're doing classes all of a yeah. sudden. It's a totally different environment. I wasn't paying that close attention, <laughs> but but I oh, feel yeah. I feel generally, at least with antidepressants, like there would be some positive growth, and I'd feel good, and then it would plateau, and then I would nosedive, and I would feel really bad, and I'd go back to the psychiatrist, and I would say like This isn't working. Okay, we'll switch it. We'll just try another one. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that time, because I was still having what I know now were hypomanic episodes or, or long periods, you know, it was like, oh, well, you probably also have ADD. Let's throw some ADD meds in there. <laughs> oh my God. And then when I was on ADD meds, I was the free cell queen. I would sit and I would play free cell like all weekend long, just play <laughs> so game fun. after game of free cell on the computer. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, that wasn't, no, it wasn't, and, and I'm not, I'm not saying anything about those meds. It was just how it, how it worked for me. But, um, it was only so you know I operated on this assumption that I had depression for a really long time until until I was I guess 26 or 27 when I was really bottoming out and I had been on Prozac for a really long time and I was feeling terrible a lot of the time I was feeling you know suicidal for long stretches of time I <laughs> people could see at work like I was I had this like far off look in my eyes I was just you know not not present and feeling and a lot, a lot, some people with bipolar disorder will feel sort of mixed episodes where you're feeling the worst parts of depression and the worst parts of, of oh. hypomania on top of each other. And so right. you're like activity, <laughs> you're trying to uh, activity away, just like fill, fill your, your time and brain with stuff so you don't think about how much you want to die. Um, and, it, and it's um, so, so it was only when I was really, really in such a bad place. I was like, okay, I got to change something about this. And I started to go on a mood stabilizer. 
And that was sort of, I was really afraid of that because when you think about mood stabilizer, you're like, oh, I'm going to go from having a range of emotions to being mm. flat. It's going to mm. stabilize my mood. I'm not going to have any moods anymore. I'm going to be a boring, flat person. And I don't want that. And that was scary, but I was in such a bad place. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll take it. I'll do it. And that one, that one I did actually start to feel, it's a very slow, you very, you go up on, so this is Lamotrigine, uh, which is an anticonvulsant. So actually people use it, uh, who have seizures use it. Seizure. And for whatever reason, it works for bipolar disorder. They don't even really understand uh, the neurochemistry of why it works. It just happens to. But I did. I felt that I really started to feel the change. There was at first this feeling of, there, there was some weird, weird parts as I adjusted to it. Like I was sort of looking at myself in the mirror and I didn't recognize myself. And there were sort of these weird, mm. weird sort of sense of relation to myself, things that were happening. But once I came over the hump, I started feeling calm. And I hadn't felt calm in so long. And that sort of calmness and, and at peace with just being myself and like actually having sort of capacity, feeling like you have time to breathe and to not, wow. yeah, it was, it was like space, space was created in my life. I mean, that's it was, huge. Yeah. Sure. yeah. So that was, that was the one that I really, I really felt and really changed things for me in, in an amazing way. Cause uh, when you have the right, when you're finally getting the right treatment after a whole life of, of, um, sort of just compromising it. it. It was really world shifting. Yeah. And so something that you said really kind of resonated, the, the idea that like, that you would take a mood stabilizer and that everything would be flat. I, Cause I, I mean, I had something where I was, I was worried that I wouldn't be myself anymore when I was mm. on medication. And I think a lot of people must go through that. It's, it's, I mean, it's almost like you identify with your whatever they are, whatever those mental health issues are, you kind of identify with them. Oh, they're like they're yours. You. That's you. And I mean, there are, I don't want to say that there are, there are pros because if, when you feel terrible, you need medication and it makes <laughs> such a difference. And when you're, once you're on it, it's so different than before you're on it because trying to explain to someone, like, it's not going to change who you are. What it, I mean, may, like if you're on the wrong one, maybe, but I mean, what it felt like to me, and I don't know if this will relate to you, but I, um, you said I could feel, I, I felt like I could be myself. That's, it, it almost feels like it, it kind of lowers the volume on all of that, like extra noise, so that the part that's really you, whatever that means, can actually just be. Um, I don't know if that is relatable to you. That's kind of how I felt when you were saying like, I felt like I could be myself. Yeah, absolutely. Just like, boop, <laughs> just lower the whatever it is. Um, I mean, that's an, obviously an oversimplification, but. Uh, yeah, well, a lot of people, a lot of people think about, uh, at least if you have, you know, you have your anxiety, which is that heightened, basically hyper, hyper stimulated or hypo stimulated, yeah. you know, you're, you're either like, if you're not regulating well and you're, yeah. you're exceeding you're you know, I, I'm an engineer, so this is like. <laughs> there's you are an engineer yeah we should yeah. mention that we're gonna get i was hoping to ask yeah. you this in a sec yeah yeah there's there's control limits there's upper control limits lower control limits that correspond to acceptable moods when you're not regulating well you are out of your control limits and when you're doing well you're staying within your tolerance and you're hitting your six sigma quality mm. on your mood so it's all about balance right like i feel like there's a lot of people and this is why i think this kind of conversation is so important i like I have friends I know who are afraid to try things, even though they're at the lowest point sometimes. And I mean, I can't tell someone to like take drugs or but like, 
you I know, tell people all the time. I'm always <laughs> I know we, like take drugs. <laughs> uh, I think I've said I, it I feel all, yeah. yeah, I feel like afraid to be able. I'm not. It's not my position necessarily to say that, but it seems what I'd rather say is if it's just the stigma of it, or you, or the idea that it's going to, like, you, if you're already at the lowest point, and this it's something that could potentially help. You know, if there's a life like grab, or, you know, a lifeline, grab onto it. Right? This might be the thing. You know, it might not, but it. But if it you doesn't, know. you can just stop. Like you could just stop, right? You could just like, oh, I that mean, didn't work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It is really hard. Hard though. When I when I was in that lowest point in this really really bad place, I could barely do the basic functions, and I needed a friend to sit with me. I said, I need to talk to a therapist, otherwise things are going to go really bad for me. Yeah. Um, and I needed, uh, and my partner sat with me on a picnic bench in the park while I made that call. Cause I, I didn't feel like I had it in me to do it for myself, even though I knew I needed it. Like for me, it felt like life or death, but, but sometimes you do need, if you can be that person who's like, you know what, let's do it right now. I'll sit down. I'm not saying this will work for everyone, but for me, I, I needed it. I wouldn't have done it if I hadn't had someone to sit with me and say, and, and just be that moral support while you help yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, I mean, like, yeah, it's easy to say, like, oh, just try whatever, but, like, I mean, in the same way that it's very difficult to explain how those lowest lows feel, um, mm-hmm. it it's, it's almost unreachable. It's like yelling down a hole, and, like, they can barely hear you, you know? Like, it's not, oh, maybe a hole's not a good, like, <laughs> stuck in a well, and it's like, you can throw the rope, but maybe they don't, uh, the sides are too slippery, uh, metaphors I love your metaphors getting way out of because I never know where I'm going with them and I'm like maybe that'll work but um so well I really like your I liked your metaphor about about an electric wire that isn't that isn't sparking like what it it is that that regulation like you said the medication like lets you be be the way you want to be yeah well that's the thing I think like the reason I keep using that because that's a metaphor I've used before but like part of what I liked about it was that I didn't lose that like spark because part of that, I mean, part of what drives us to be sometimes creative or things like that is, it, or that drives us to introspect is kind of that, not that we need mental health issues to be, but sometimes that discomfort or that unhappiness is kind of a bit of a motivating factor to, okay, I need to explore this, or I need to figure this out. Or those emotions, like I didn't want to lose any of that. And I didn't, I didn't lose anything. It was just contained. It was just, it was no longer, you know, something that I couldn't touch without burning myself. <laughs> like, mm. yeah. That's important to say, because there are a lot of people out there who think, oh, for me to remain creative, a good writer, or no. a good whatever I am, or to maintain my identity in a sense, I need to maintain this pain. And yeah. I don't think pain should be a part if you can avoid pain, avoid it. It's just, don't make that part of your identity. It doesn't have to be part of who you are. And that's why I was treading carefully there because I think that's actually very harmful potentially too because, I mean, like I was using myself as an example, but I, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people do that where they're like, well, no, I need this. It drives me. But it's, I wrote way, it was so much easier to write when I was, I mean, it was academic stuff. But in any case, I, I think it's easier to write anything once you know you've lowered the volume on the part of you that's like oh you can't do this this is too bad why aren't you talking about it like all of that stuff so I mean it's it can be harmful to associate mental health issues with creativity so like Amanda I don't know if you have anything to say about this and I don't know if I should ask you this question but I have heard I think there are people who 
almost like the idea of being bipolar because a lot of artists, a lot of like really well-known successful writers or artists, something have been bipolar in particular, that one. So I, I don't know if you've heard anything about that. If that's a question you don't feel like answering and we can just cut this entire thing, but I don't know. It's like a weird almost is there a weird like positive, positive benefit? association <laughs> like, like, yeah yeah that's definitely something i've heard of yeah I've, I've heard people say oh well they're bipolar and that's part of they think like you know this is the reason why they had this amazing art like like you said right. that's that is a harmful it's a harmful thing but there is sort of this idea that you know in for example this this really manic place maybe this yeah. incredible ideas come forth i mean there is that hyper productivity that compulsiveness right. that impulsiveness that comes to when, when you are hypomanic. And then sometimes for some people who are inclined to express themselves that way, like maybe it comes out as writing, maybe you just write and write and right. write. Um, but I find for me, when I am hypomanic or, or I'm sort of getting there, I do feel this, this urge to express myself, this need. And sometimes that's just the way the, <laughs> the pain, whatever you're feeling needs to come out. For me, it's in singing sometimes. And for me, so because I, I like to sing, but I don't do it very often. Sometimes if I'm in such a, like in a, in a really bad, emotionally heightened place, I, I need to sing. I feel like, oh God, I got to sing or I'm going to explode. And I'll sing or I'll write, I'll write a poem and it'll just flow out of me yeah. because of the place that I'm at. Mm -hmm. It's just like, everything's brimming at the surface and you need to let it go. Right. But what would it be like? Wouldn't it be nice to be able to sing when you're not feeling like yeah. the world is is crumbling around you? Like, you know, that's, it's not, you shouldn't have to go to that place to, to do I, a thing that you love to do. I was gonna say, I heard it could also be a bit of an illusion too sometimes, right? Like in the moment you think you're like, wow, this is genius stuff is coming out of me. And then like, you give it a few days a week and you're like, what was I thinking? Like, where- Oh, totally. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Like, I mean, I, I wouldn't say I write poetry. I have written some poems. Sometimes I'm like, this is the best thing I've ever done. And like three days later, you're like, oof, <laughs> oof. All right. I mean, I guess that can happen at any time, but I don't know. I guess I've heard some, sometimes people with, you know, in a manic mode. Yeah, it, because it you be also, you're, feeling. yeah, because you also, you're in that place where you feel powerful. You feel such an mm. intense sense of self and you're like, I have a unique message. I'm the voice. I'm the person. I'm the center of the universe. <laughs> and, and that, you know, the, the art that comes from you at that time uh, mm -hmm. probably reflects that sort of uh, centrality that you feel when you're hypomanic. I have a question. When you would shift, though, from manic to depressive, I guess this is just a question I've always had. I don't know why I don't really know the answer. But when you would shift from one to the other, was it just like, a shift from one to the other or is there like a time when you were totally good in the in the middle or was it always extreme to extreme for me it's it's usually been extreme to extreme it'll usually go from high to low and and as I was describing for me a lot of the hypomanic episodes or I keep saying episodes but really they're weeks right it's it's a mm -hmm. long period of time it's not like I'm having you know a bad day it's it's a slowly ascending heightening thing where you know it goes from just feeling good and feeling like oh I got all this energy I don't need to sleep it's so great um to to being in a crisis and then once I sort of realize it there, there almost can be or sometimes you just wake up the next day major depression very mm. very 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 low mood all of a sudden all the energy you've had is gone I remember I remember a couple of these shifts because they're incredibly dramatic and I'm, this maybe isn't for everyone, but it's not a decline. You know, you're not, you're not all going down the ramp to the other end. For me, it's mm. all the energy is gone all of a sudden and you are in a bad little place. That's yeah. tough. That's Yeah. I've heard that 
lithium is something that was prescribed. Did they ever for bipolar? Is that something you've ever taken, or is that something you don't do anymore? I'm not sure. I, I don't remember hearing about all the different. Uh, yeah, I think lithium is, is still prescribed. Yeah, and recently you would have heard uh, at the beginning when I was telling you about my evening medications. Uh, I did recently start taking an antipsychotic because. And rightly so. I have a psychiatrist right now as part of a family health team. So they take very, you know, holistic approach on, on your mental health was saying like, yeah, so I hear you saying the mood stabilizer is good, but you also told me that you had a really bad March, like your last <laughs> last year that you had a really bad month. So that kind of tells me that, you know, there's parts that still need to be treated. Mm-hmm. And so he proposed an antipsychotic. I think they're called atypical antipsychotics. And uh, it has sort of a, a sedative quality. Josh, when you were saying your friends sometimes say things make them sleepy, I think some antipsychotics uh, have mm. a really sedating quality for some people. Nice. But yeah, to handle sort of um, lamotrigine, the smooth stabilizer is, is more tended towards people with bipolar who have who generally experience more depression than they do the other end. So it did sort of leave room to treat the high end of the spectrum as well, that the the hypomanic and high energy mm-hmm. deregulation as well. So, so here I am, I'm on both. Uh, it's been okay, a bit sleepy. I sleep in more now <laughs> <laughs> on uh, antipsychotics. But um, yeah, the, both of these things were things I, I think I would have been afraid before to broach. Mood mm-hmm. stabilizer, antipsychotic, both kind of scary. If you mm-hmm. think, if you really treasure your sense of, and of course this is part of where the stigma comes in, but if you really treasure yourself and you think like all these things, even all the craziness, of all, course, the, all yeah. the things I've done, they make me me. Yeah. It can be really scary to think like, oh, I'm going to lose these. But yeah. Yeah. I wanted to know, Amanda, how has the pandemic, like, has it made things worse or things the same? Like, has that affected you in any significant way? Oh, baby. <laughs> um, so, Ooh. so, yeah. Um, so it's, it's been really challenging for someone who's who's not great at regulating her emotions, even with medications, I mean, it's incredibly stressful. And I was experiencing anxiety, prolonged anxiety, like I never had before. And obviously these are unprecedented times. Um, (laughs) And so it's unprecedented levels of of things to be afraid of. And I really never saw myself as a hypochondriac, but all of a sudden, and, and, you know, I, there are things when I look back, okay, maybe I am a bit, but, but the, constantly I was afraid of the of, of the worst outcomes and I was consumed by them so I'm thinking a year ago um so when things first started I was working in public health which helps because I was bombarded by information all day long at work and then in the evening you're reading reading the news or and it was just so much information and so much uncertainty and I was still commuting to work um to work on a hotline where I was answering questions about COVID um oh, no. We barely knew the answers to and it was it was really it was so stressful and I started feeling you know tightness and pain in my chest that you know was was probably anxiety um but just was so prevalent and I feared the worst outcomes I was I was so preoccupied with the idea that I was about to have a stroke mm-hmm. I was about to have mm. because even in the beginning we sort of know and I don't mean to be a fear monger you know COVID can have really unpredictable responses in people, even young, healthy people can have these really severe outcomes. And so I was petrified and I was not coping well, even on the medication. I just happened to be at the time sort of trying to wean off the lamotrigine, but I couldn't manage. And I was in this state of just feeling so elevated levels of 
just all day long feeling <laughs> in my head and just obsessing, 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 obsessing over the thought. Um, and so that is when I, so the antipsychotic is sort of new was, was an attempt to deal with that a little bit. And part of, part of what that does, because it's a sedative, is it helps you sleep. When you sleep, you tend to feel better. Um, so it helped a little bit, but you know, I still deal with that. Uh, even today, I was saying to my partner, you know, it's 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 sort of dulled, partly maybe due to the exposure of just uh, having felt this way for so long and, and being exposed to the level of risk that we're all exposed to every day. I mean, it depends where you live, but in Toronto, things are things are still risky. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I still have that feeling, you know, I have a pain in my arm and that's, you know, probably because my terrible desk job, I slump on my left arm all day. Mm. I get a pain and I think this is my stroke. It's happening, you know, and right now, right now I'm in, I'm, I'm in a pretty good place. I've been a couple months ago. I picked up med- meditation with Headspace, you know, I, oh, nice. I, know I really <laughs> meditation. Um, but, it has no bond I, over your meditation. Yeah. It, I mean, <laughs> it really, I think it has helped a little bit because the big scary thing for me, like uh, like I was saying, I really admire Aya's ability to be introspective. Is for me, my brain is a very scary place. It's where all the bad thoughts live. So mm-hmm. you got to drown it out. Um, and so being able to do Headspace um, has been uh, helpful in the sense of, of being able to look at the thought. Again, I'm, I'm very amateur here, but look at the thought that's like, okay, you just felt something what are all the things like I would, my mind would immediately start scanning my body and then I'd go Google symptoms for an hour. Were you basically <laughs> WebMDing yourself every totally, time? Totally, like... totally. Every time. <laughs> I read cancer, every... every time. Yeah. So it's helped me step back a little bit and to be like, okay, that's a thought. It's just a thought. It's a negative thought. Mm. Let's see if we can walk for, for three seconds without thinking, with not without thinking, but like just letting that thought be a thought. And almost, almost, almost always it kind of dissolves yeah. a little bit. Like uh, a cloud so been... in the sky. Yeah. Where's Miss Kinahan when we need her? Yeah, Miss Kinahan, did, <laughs> she did meditate with us. Yeah, they say like, as I'll say, some clouds are darker and some are light and fluffy, but they'll just, you just let them pass, let them be there. Yeah. I don't know. They're you know that every time I hear the word meditate, I see Miss Kinahan? Still? It's that tied, it's <laughs> oh, that man. tied together for me. Don't let Miss Kinahan define meditation for you. <laughs> Not that I actually didn't dislike Miss Kinahan other than the tooth fairy mishap and I, it's pretty shitty that she I didn't remember mouth. that you know I didn't I didn't remember her spoiling the tooth fairy yeah um although I do remember you know feeling that that was a big betrayal that our parents were the tooth fairy when I when I did find out oh know? yeah okay yeah, yeah big betrayal we don't grow up with Santa Claus so you know we need a different kind of betrayal yeah that's exactly how I feel yeah I'm like I wonder how much worse it is with Santa Claus like uh, one thing I associate with Miss Kinahan is that I remember that she told us that Canada had won the right for women to walk around topless because there's a thing where it was, you know, it was indecent if if women did it, but men could walk around topless. And so it so happened during that year that women won the equal right to walk around topless if they so choose. That's what I associate with her, is her sharing that information with us. Do you know what I'm realizing now? I think if I met her now, I'd be like, she's the coolest person ever. Like, I think you probably would. I I feel like I'd like her. so cool. I would have liked Miss Kinahan too if she didn't kickstart uh, nicknames for me that lasted. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I was going to say, oh yeah, so pandemic wise, because I feel like for me, at least and a lot of people I know, one of the things that has been a, that benefits, I, I don't think it's just extroverted people, but in general, having friends and having, you know, contact with people is good for your mental health, right? And I can imagine if you're already dealing, you're having mental health struggles, that. In a, you know, that lack of contact 
I mean, I guess you said you have a partner, but also that lack of variety in contact um, <laughs> can make things exponentially worse for some people. I, even for me, who's I'm, you know, self-described uh, like, you know, I'm fine mental health wise. And like, I've struggled more than I've ever struggled this past year with bouts of, you know, little bits of depression and stuff here and there, you know, dealing with, I don't want to go into all the details of, um, of what it caused me to think, but it, yeah. just, you know, you know, thinking about my future and my, and my job, what I like to do making movies has been, you know, shut down. I feel like there's a lack of forward momentum. That's a lack of productivity that makes me kind of, that puts me in a bad place. But for me, someone who's very, I love people and, you know, socializing, that's been probably one of the hardest things. And I live in a house with like 12 people. <laughs> so I'm actually better off than a lot of others. But I'm just wondering, like, what's that like for you? Because I remember you, you're a pretty sociable person, right? You also seem to yeah. like people. Yeah, I, I definitely do. I, I would say I do get, I miss, I miss seeing people in person. Whenever I do see people in person, you're like, oh yeah, real life. Oh my God. And, you know, even the weather's getting nice again and we can actually, in, can actually go stand outside. It must be even harder in the, in the winter for you guys. Yes. Yeah, I'm Toronto in LA. Winter. It's nice all the time. Shut up, Josh. <laughs> yeah, <so there's> very... <laughs> yeah, I'm bragging. <laughs> yeah, winter winter's hard because you can't really you can't really visit outside in the same way, at least not for very long. Mm-hmm. Even if you can stand the cold, it's actually also like COVID the, or like the droplets stay in the air for longer. Like it's not even uh. like in the summer, at least. It, it, apparently, it's not even as safe to be outside with other people in the winter. It's pretty. Uh. Yeah, we maintained Anyways. some outdoor dining Anyways. for much of it here so there was still that opportunity oh my like, god I just went out on a date outdoors the other day you don't uh, even know some, then some we, uh, yeah meals, oh to be yeah. on a patio okay josh Soba. okay oh it was good it was, uh, what do you call those like thick noodles uh udon? Udon. Udon. Soba. Ah. yeah i ate that outside in like a nice little outdoor dining thing the other night and i'm like wow this is date night with my girlfriend tell us about your wonderful patio you can cut this but i was really just trying to brag about my date <laughs> which was nice but I, so my question is like is it how has it been a lot harder I'm guessing even yeah, without socializing winter, without socializing in a place with winter like real winter yeah well one thing I've been keeping up um I have almost, almost three regular weekly social events virtually with friends which has been really nice and I, I do find I get at least you know the some amount of, of social connection like right now we're talking on zoom and it feels like we're yeah together hanging out which is nice yeah um and, and so I, I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons. I meet with some friends, um, uh, friends from work. We get together once a week to play games online. And uh, some friends from school, we play games online too. And and that is kind of doing it for me. I mean, yeah, I get, I get sad that I'm not able to. One of the things I was really ashamed is, so I sing with a band and we, we rung in the new year with a big party for our friends. Uh, we had about 150 friends in a, in a, studio space and we played a gig and, and we're singing together. We never sounded better. We worked so hard on it. And we're really looking forward to just keep jamming, keep playing together. And so playing music together is something we, we can't do. So oh, that would have been yeah. like the 2020 sort of, New Year. Yes, 2020 right. New Year. Yeah, yes, I'm assuming, not this one. Yeah, yeah I, 2020 New Year. That, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then it's uh, the summer, you're just. Yeah, so we kind of had this, this little prayer, which is jam in June. So hopefully, hopefully June, hopefully, yeah. whatever the circumstances are, either the, whatever the circumstances are that we'll be able to play together in some capacity, maybe it's outside, mm-hmm. who knows? Yeah, hopefully, you, you hopefully know, you, that'll be soon. You mentioned, this is maybe one of the last things uh, to bring up, but 
you've mentioned now your job kind of in passing a few times, mm -hmm. but I just wanted to ask you, like, what do you do and how did you yeah. start <laughs> doing it? Like, but we, again, I lost you at around university time uh, to knowing, you know, we, we, we split off uh, literally to different cities, but you said you're an engineer, but is that's not exactly what you're doing right now, right? It sort of is. So, so I went to school for oh. engineering. Um, I went into a field called industrial engineering, okay. which is particularly about applying different types of sciences to improving, improving systems. So uh, it comes from, <laughs> I always do a terrible job explaining this, but, but basically sort of the science of improvement is a lot of it. And that ends up being a lot of math, some of it's computer science, some of it's uh, psychology, actually, because human factors, uh, the way our bodies work, the way our minds work, translate into the design of work. So a lot of the, the, the jobs that I've had um, have been in the healthcare industry, which is sort of unusual, but you're applying engineering principles. So you're, you're looking see. at the processes of how we care for people. So, so even though industrial engineering has its basis in manufacturing, where you're cranking out widgets or, or some sort of product and you're applying, okay, how do we optimize this? How do we get as many? How do we get them to high quality? Uh, what I was saying before Six Sigma comes from that. So how do, how do we ensure high quality? So there's been a lot of interest in the last four decades, probably, of applying that manufacturing mindset to the service sector, for better and worse. Uh, you know, I think we're seeing a lot now of, of some of the, the casualties of that, of treating people like they can be improved the way that comfortable machines can be improved. Mm -hmm. But but sometimes, uh, you know, if, if applied humanely, we can do it well. So, for example, in a hospital, you know, uh, it's about helping reduce the kinds of errors that happen. So people fall in hospitals. And if they come to a hospital and they're really not well and they fall and suddenly they break a hip, now they have, they're more hurt than they were when they came in. And that's obviously not what you want. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, trying to have a look at the processes and the way we deliver the service to reduce ad adverse events or improve also, uh, improve the experience. So how do we make uh, the experience of being at a hospital better? Do you work at a hospital? I, I don't. I used to work at a hospital. So so now I work for public health, which is a government job here. And it's the same idea that we look at. <laughs> so I've been deployed to the COVID-19 response. So my job as a quality improvement specialist, as it's called, it's not strictly engineering in that a lot of people who have this job at public health are not engineers. But, but the idea comes from engineering. It comes from this same idea of looking systematically at processes, at the way we deliver care, the way we respond to COVID-19 and apply some of these things we know about how people work to do it better. And in COVID, you know, uh, in a big city like Toronto, we're, we're dealing with a lot of volume, a lot of cases, you know, how do we make sure that we get to everyone? How do we make sure that we provide the best possible effective interventions? Efficiency. Yeah, efficiency, like effectiveness, things like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, that's it really interesting well yeah. do you also do you do you so, so you're kind of so you're still so smart yeah <laughs> and engineering itself is she still has the pigtails but she's <laughs> <laughs> pigtails and you're and working in, a, in public health which is i mean clearly you're good at dealing with that kind of stuff so i don't know i think yeah. it's really cool that you're doing that and you're helping people yeah yeah and it is uh, you know i have this 
it, maybe it comes from the hypomania. Maybe it comes from this sense of that I'm important and I can make a change. I can, I can change the world. I don't know if that's just hypomania. That's you totally can change the world. Obviously, like that's not. A, hopefully, that's yeah. not a mental disorder to feel like we can change the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. Um. So, so I like working in stubs, but but they are taxing. They're taxing in a way that maybe sometimes I think, okay, if I wasn't working in this field during a global pandemic, maybe I would be feeling a lot better right now. But. Mm. It also, you know, it yeah. it's still something I believe in. So, yeah. at risk of uh, of talking too much here and saying one last thing, that I is gonna murder me. Uh, <laughs> but uh, okay. I was gonna say that uh, one of my favorite uh, experiences not long ago was you acted in a movie, like mm -hmm. you know, this is uh, again, this is re this is very recently, like a couple of years ago, right? And because I was making a, a series on these four, what's known as the cluster B personality disorders. Because again, I'm not, uh, it's not really from my own, I've always had a, like an interest in, in mental health and psychology and things like that, but not necessarily because I, I've dealt with mental health issues, you know, myself, but my dad is a forensic, was a forensic psychologist and he worked at a mental hospital. And I just even remember like when we were in elementary school, like take your kids to work day, everybody went to like, uh, <laughs> I don't know where you, where your parents uh, worked, but I, I don't know how many children's aid society. Okay, where children's aid was working. <laughs> yeah. So, where did you? And I was already at work. Just went to school. Uh, no, I actually. <laughs> went with my dad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure I went with my dad to like fill up, like he fills up pop machines, which I do oh. now. <laughs> By the way, you're saying pop machines, right? You know, in America we don't say soda pop, machines, or at least where I live. Sorry. So, no, I have to remember. I like I forgot. Soda machines. <laughs> But yeah, so I went to a mental, I remember even from early on, like seeing a mental hospital, I went there for take your kids to work day. And like, there was no other kids there that day. There was like maybe one other kid. I just remember being like, should I be here right now? And, you know, that was my idea of mental health was like this mental hospital with the most extreme things going on, you know, and I didn't, right. I didn't used to understand, you know, but anyways, I got really into it. And yeah, I took psychology, as you know, and, and neuroscience. And um you know, mental health became like an interest uh, to me as well. So I ended up making these four movies about the cluster B personality disorder. So that was antisocial personality disorder, which is psychopath for a day was the movie. There was Nick the narcissist, borderline bill, borderline personality. And then there was uh, attention horror, which was about histrionic personality disorder. And that's the one, uh, Amanda, that you acted in. And I don't know, it was just so cool to like, I remember, I think you were playing like someone with narcissistic personality yeah. disorder right <laughs> you're like in the therapy session or something people were talking about it I just remember that was like one of my favorite uh experiences really like connecting with you on that and getting to like do drama basically all over again with you as an adult so yeah that was really fun out. and you brought in another another uh childhood friend as well so it was fun to yeah we're playing together yeah Daniel Botner yeah. hopefully we'll have him on sometime I wasn't invited to this yeah, I is really sore. She keeps every time I bring this up, she's like, Why <laughs> why am I not in this movie? I'm like, just, we shot it in Toronto. You were in London, but I just want to be invited. I'm happy to say no. I often say no. Just I, remember me. how I invited you to all those parties at my house and you always uh, said this no. was revenge. I see. I see. <laughs> no. <laughs> I see. <laughs> no, but uh again, I like, you know, you guys are, are close friends and everything, of course, but I was very happy to, you know, obviously keep in contact with you, Amanda and keep learning from you too because we've had lots of I think interesting conversations and and some of it about you know mental health and stuff before and I've learned a lot from you I remember from our, our conversations 
And that was one of the reasons I was excited to have you on because I know we can learn a lot from you. Oh, thank so. you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for coming on, Amanda. I guess that's our is that our cue to start wrapping things up, Josh? No. Hey, you get to choose. Right? As if I'm, you, yeah. I heard that the after credits where it was like time for the segment things we wish we said last week. <laughs> we're gonna yeah I'm, we gonna, I'm gonna keep pushing that, that off <laughs> josh maybe, he suggested maybe. it and then he's like no i, was like, I suggested it idea. just to suggest it and then i liked it and i wasn't prepared i think it's that. hilarious i don't think i've so <laughs> that's hilarious because i don't think i ever have jumped on an idea so enthusiastically i'm usually like oh well i don't want to do more things but like with this i was like that's the best idea ever and then he was like mm, i don't know if i want to do it i was like what the hell josh is like <laughs> does one of us always have to be kind of like a a naysayer mm -hmm. i have like one random story i don't even know if this is worth but it i is. just thought about it at one point amanda do you remember and one of our apparently your little brother is one of our listeners now or he mentioned oh your brother yeah Giddy, by the way your brother was in my brother's class growing up our everything was just so yeah, We're everything so was close. Intertangled. Yeah. Intertangled. Intertangled, is that a word? Inter Entangled. 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 I just want to say your brother yeah. reached out about one of the episodes. I won't, you know, go into details. I don't know what he wants me to say, but he was so sweet. He, he wrote like the nicest message mm -hmm. about one of the episodes. And I love your brother too, your whole family. <laughs> yeah, and I, sh I should say, you know, I did say at the beginning, as much as I thought when I was a kid that my family was the source of all my problems. Now we're so strong. We're so bonded. We're so loyal to each other. That's we're all really tight after all of it. So I love you, family. Aw, yeah, no, that's really sweet. And I, I was thinking, because like this kind of tied into like our fun little mischievous escapades together and also just remembering stuff about your family. And I just remember we were hanging out in your basement and for some, and we were like hiding in this one room where like the mattresses were and we were so well hidden. And at one point your brother came downstairs and we started talking to him as if we were the voice of God. And he was like, he was responding. And eventually he was just like, dad, and he like ran upstairs. <laughs> But I just, I just really, for some reason, I just vividly remember pretending to be the voice of God to him. It was super fun. Um, I'm sorry, That's great. but it was <laughs> times. Yeah, that was one of my, my fun, like there are many, but that was you one know, of my I get to have that you. FOMO that they're feeling of missing out. Yeah. Feeling of hiding you know. in Amanda's basement as we often did. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It was great for hide and seek. I think we played hide and seek in my, in my in our unfinished basement, like into high school. Okay. I oh man, that just okay. Were you you were part of that group? I remember for some reason our high school group. One of our favorite things at parties was playing hide and seek. Yeah, like we were. Yeah, it was the best. That was fun. So I think yeah, your basement must have been one of those. That's hilarious. Were okay, you guys still so. close in high school too? Yeah. We were in this one of the same friend groups. I would say Amanda was kind of a floater. I don't know if that's the right word. Yeah. Like yeah. I only hung out okay. with them basically, but she hung out with multiple groups. She was like, I'm not limiting myself to this. I'm friends <laughs> with everyone. So you were yeah. friends with kind of everyone, but you were at the same parties that I was generally. So thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about this. So, I mean, one is thank you for coming on. Two is thank you for coming on and, you know, being so honest and like straightforward I think I think a lot of people appreciate that and it means a lot to people who feel alone and aren't and they don't need to and so thank you and uh, yeah, thank you so much Amanda yeah. 
Yeah, you're, you're so welcome. I, I really hope that uh, it comes through the way that you just put it so beautifully. Uh-huh. Thanks. And I guess this has been another episode of Adulthood Friends. I don't feel like saying all that stuff right now, but just the usual things. If you want to follow us and subscribe, just do it. You know what to do. Every podcast talks about it. So it feels like it cheapens it at the end when so we have like a meaningful talk. Well, because I don't want to end this with like a, I don't know. I don't want to end That's it with true. Like I that. understand the feeling about that, you know, self-promotion yeah. and all that stuff. No. Yeah, you guys know where to follow us and listen to us. We're on everything. Exactly. You know um, what to do. If you want to do it, do it. And uh, how do we end this thing usually? I don't know. I think usually like I'm just saying something and at some point I guess the music just sort of... Guys, do you know what I forgot to say? What? We all worked, we all worked at the library together. Ah, yeah. We did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we all worked as pages at the London Public Library, Masonville branch, for most of high school. Yeah. Okay, because I remember I was thinking, okay, we went from all right, we were all in high school together, and then we went off in our separate directions during university. But yeah, for years, like we all worked at together at the library yeah so that was like a real shared that's a real shared experience between all of us it is yeah